4: We call it Epcot, will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was and the way it
0: is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 81, Cranium Command. We'll be taking you back and going inside of the head of a 12-year-old boy and seeing what that was all about in the Wonders of Life Pavilion. Sitting in with me as always, coming in from Tampa, Florida, Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight? Aloha. I'm doing fine. Doing fine. And I, I ran out of things for Tampa and the general area. So you're just getting called Tampa tonight. I'll go Research. That's, fine. that's fine. Senuers, yeah
5: I think we called the chicken town. I think that's one you might have missed.
0: Chicken town. Okay. Chicken town. I don't know. I'm just I didn't know that one. Okay.
5: If you, to, if you get to pile of chicken, I thought the chicken town would be
0: a chicken town. All right, there it is. Yeah, chicken town. And coming in from Ohio, Mr. JT
2: Coucher. How are you today, JT? I am good. I'm excited for this episode. One of uh my Favorite wonders of life attractions as a kid yeah. seeing. This is I like when we go to Epcot and actually know what you guys are talking about a little bit <laughs> instead of remember when they had an audio book you could sit there and listen with real headphones. So this <laughs> this one is uh I remember sitting in this theater, so I'm excited. You
0: don't remember Walter Cronkite Spaceship Birth, you don't remember no. AT the ATT stuff. Oh. No. That's right. That's why we're here, JT. You know, yes. you, you you can ask the questions and we bring back the memories. So exactly. So and coming in tonight with I, I love the t shirt, Brian. It's gotta be something you got at Sesame Place. Your Oscar the Grouch shirt coming in from Philadelphia, <laughs> the relatively close home to Sesame Place. So all right tonight.
4: Greetings and salutations. I've had this Oscar the Grouch shirt forever. In fact, he's starting to like splinter and stuff. I, but I'm just <laughs> keeping him going. That's a yes. distressed
0: Oscar. It's keeping him going. Have.
4: Uh, Yes. Hello there from uh, the NFC East champion Philadelphia Eagles home. Uh, They they go into the Super Bowl tonight and that is the extent of my sports input. I I will once again be out of town as Howard and I watch them win the Super Bowl. Uh, after dinner in Tampa last that's time right, when they won the Super right. Bowl there you go. we were the only two people at the bar at Cheddar's watching them <laughs> watching them finish the uh, the game and win the Super Bowl so uh
0: you might you know. get to do it again so. Well
4: no I'll be in the Bahamas the day that they're oh, playing all right. the Super Bowl so good how, luck to them
0: How would you fly down to Bahamas so you can be with uh you can be with Brian <laughs> sure as long as yeah. there's a
5: as long as there's a monte cristo sandwich and a painkiller <laughs> there I'm, I'm I'm there that was our dinner
0: that was our
4: dinner that night <laughs> that's funny
0: all right well gentlemen this is that are going to be our what is this our third episode on on, uh, on wonders of life or i, um, I, I know i know what I've a trilogy
4: track. i know what a trilogy is but what's uh a, a four-parter Quad,
0: quadrilogy quadrilogy I don't don't know. know. I don't know. To be concluded. It's a a four four
4: part series. And this is the third of four parts.
0: There we go. There we go. All right. Well, JT, before we get to the main topic, as always, you run out to the mailbag. It's always full. We've got some great comments that came in the past month. So
2: what do we got in there? So first off, this is uh, from John in Texas. He says, hi, guys. I'm wondering if any of you all have any memories of the Millennium Village that was in Epcot for the year 2000. I can remember as a 10-year-old thinking that Scotland mini golf attraction was the coolest thing in the entire park at the time. I know they've used the building for other special events and during food and wine since they in 2009. I was a cast member in Inventions and they would serve Epcot cast appreciation meals in there. One time they served us the best duck sausage I've ever had. But I couldn't uh, find that on any Walt Disney World menu, menu sorry, uh, and still haven't. All of that to say, was Millennium Village neat attraction, or was it only something
4: a 10-year-old would like? I I assume we can all have our input here. I can give my one recollection. Yeah, that's of, what we're looking of, for. I was, I was in my ride phase as an adult where you know we were doing the commando thing where we rope drop the park and you know we'd go balls to the wall all day and try to ride everything <laughs> um so i remember finding you know when we were led into the millennium village like it was like being at a bad trade show for me I and mean, just kind of walking through because these countries had their like little i mean they were little booths right mm-hmm. like um, I don't remember enough about it anymore. I, I look forward to us doing an episode on that, uh, because I, it, it will be teaching me. Cause I just don't remember the building is still there. Yes. We, we, you know, we've all been in it, uh, for D23 events and all, um, but I just don't remember it, you know, other than being very bored and wanting to get out of there to go on rides. <laughs>
0: So that's all. That's all you remember. Yep. I remember walking in and seeing it. I, I I think I said in one of the other previous episodes so I was walked
2: in. I was, was enjoyed it but was disappointed. So well they didn't give you 10 lobsters when you walked in, so you didn't enjoy it like <laughs> all that. right there, Smarty. <laughs> all right, all right. And shower you with gifts and chestnuts and <laughs> chestnuts. <laughs> you mean to tell me they're not roasted?
4: what do you remember about howard were you in your not going phase that time that was
5: that was my i am sick and tired of the crowds and the prices and i'm not going during this time period so no i I didn't see the millennium celebration or the whatever that parade was tapestry of nation i missed out on that entire thing so
4: the the only thing i recall about it existentially uh was the controversy over the israel pavilion being included and there being uh, muslim nations that didn't want to participate if israel was going to be included in it and um israel was included in it it wasn't there um so i kind of remember that uh being part of the news at the time Mm
2: all right well there you go so that's our recollection uh and it's used for various things now still right wasn't it just a, a temporary oh, yeah. tent almost and it's it's held on really of? was
0: pretty much a tent
2: when you think about it as a glory you
0: know a glorified tent uh we attended uh epcot 35 gentlemen mm-hmm. was held in there right yeah, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. uh
0: that was in there and there was um there's a couple yeah. of things that yeah, yeah
4: disney there, held so. both or d23 held both epcot 30 and epcot 35 there um and it's always open
5: during food and wine as a venue to get stuff and they usually have a piano player inside and a bunch of booths so
2: serves the space still serves a purpose okay well thanks john there's uh appreciate your uh your letter guess what got another letter from another john uh, this one, though, is is an update. So cue the Unsolved Mysteries theme when they have an update.
4: Uh, that's... <laughs> uh
2: John wrote us, uh, this is back in October, and he was very curious about the Smellitzer in Living with the Land, a machine that shoots barnyard odors across your nose as you sail past. Well, John... Sent us a little update in January. Still digging into this. Uh, and he actually sent us just a Epcot Center YouTube video from 1983. And uh, it's a, I will put a link here, but about the 28-minute mark, there is a woman on the ride. And they're in the barnyard scene. And she says, smells like a barn. Uh, was she just commenting was she actually smelling who knows but he says perhaps this is where the smelter was actually located it would make sense giving there's plenty of real estate in that scene to put the equipment and keep it hidden from view since construction so uh not sure but you know you can listen for yourself and uh see if the smelter's there we're still on the hunt for this barnyard smell if anybody has a personal recollection but uh that's that's john right there for you all I actually right.
0: had a comment on that oh, too, uh, JT. Was that, yeah, I was thinking about that. We talked about last month, how, how that maybe the Smollett's or smell, you know, was, we were wondering what barnyard was. I, I thought that if the wind was right and the air currents in there, that hay smell could have come up to the restaurant. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a hay or a barnyard where I'm about to cut into my steak.
2: Well, that's what Brian said. He found it yeah. hard to believe because, you know, the restaurants rolling by there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just i don't know just say yeah i mean that's now (laughs) has that always been
4: character dining
0: no no originally it was it was just a nice uh just just a a classy yeah it
4: was just a classy rotating restaurant originally exactly yeah uh uh, confession
2: room here i've never eaten there so i may have to
4: uh, your kids would love it i mean i i mean it's a great it's a the food is good it's a fun time uh the character interactions are good so sure Okay. All right. Well, uh, guess what? Another letter from
2: another John, if you notice a trend here. Uh, We've been talking uh, pretty regularly about time capsules. And John wrote us a little update, a little info. I mentioned the Nickelodeon Studios time capsule. We're going to step away here from it from Disney property. And uh, we mentioned the Nickelodeon time capsule being removed and never uh, found again. (laughs) But uh, it was moved to the Nick Hotel. And then uh, when that was closed, they've moved it to Nickelodeon Animation Studios in California. Interestingly enough, while the time capsule allegedly remains and won't be open for another twenty years, the cover was auctioned off. I guess they had like a looking like a manhole cover on the ground there. I recall that. Yeah, uh, that that sold for nineteen thousand dollars.
4: Whoa! I happen I- to have it right here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'll be at Retro Magic <laughs> at
5: some point. I think I had my picture taken with it because I believe it was. Uh, I believe it was put in place on my birthday, April 30th. So then I like at some point, it's like I took a picture next to it since it had my birthday on it. So why not? A vague yeah.
2: Interesting. All right. Besides, uh, besides retro Disney, he's a big classic Nickelodeon fan. He's got quite a collection of uh, shows and that uh he brings he brought up double dare because uh if there's a show not available out there and you have any interest, let him know and he can uh, send us an episode so uh and even recommended a book uh, about nickelodeon's history which is uh you know right in that time period when people my age were we into the disney parks universal studios was actually like a studio and you could see the big slime thing out front and the, the time capsule and all that so uh but the time capsule is still sitting and uh we're always on the hunt for a a good new time capsule. So, Well, that you. was definitely a period of time when Nickelodeon was kicking Disney's butt as far
5: as attracting kids because kids were way more into the Nickelodeon stuff than they were Disney things at that point. So that's, that, that's a, neat, a neat era because of there was quite a tussle back and forth. And I think with Playhouse Disney, they finally started to get the kids back in Disney XD. But Nickelodeon absolutely ruled the kids' airwaves
2: for five, six, ten years during that time. I'll tell you I mean there there's you know you compare the two and you go back and forth and there were some I it, even as a kid I thought the jaws ride was me no good but to me when I was that age you know 10 11 12 years old nothing could top that back to the future ride that that Disney did that was just so amazingly cool being a back to the future fan so yeah um all right Last message here we got. Uh this is from John again. No, I'm just kidding. This is actually from Jimmy. Uh, we <laughs> tried to go for four Johns. We got three Johns and a Jimmy. Uh he really liked our Christmas show. He said uh it was exceptional. I'm sure I speak for others and say I appreciate if we are the podcast, the time you put into it. He uh sent us links to two videos here, Christmas in ninety-four, which I'll share that link there. And uh he added a little interesting story here. They were actually down in Disney and they set the VCR to tape the christmas parade christmas morning so you know how precise you had to be if you didn't have vcr plus you had to really first <laughs> off make sure you're there's a reference
4: yes now you have to explain what vcr plus uh, was. to people. that's right oh my so, gosh you know
2: there was two ways to program your vcr the first one which you had to get everything right you know every, most people's vcrs if you recall just flash 12 all the time because right. then the power went out it was a big pain to set the time and change it back and forth so you had to make sure your time was set right Then you had to go into whatever the menu system was on that VCR and say, start recording at this time. You also had to make sure the TV was on the right channel. So if mom came in and switched the channel physically or digitally, it taped whatever channel was was coming through. So you got screwed there. Now, VCR Plus added a little bit. I feel like I'm at Best Buy again, trying to sell this thing. Uh, it, in the TV guide or the, the you know, the guide in your newspaper, there was a number code and that number code you'd put into the VCR plus interface. And that was it. I mean, I think it was just a channel in a time reference if, you know, we're, it wasn't that technical, but each uh, show or time period had its own little code. I never owned VCR plus. Did you guys
4: no, no, I, no, none of the VCRs we had had it. Um, but I remember the TV listings for years had the code next to each show mm-hmm. and uh, it was like a zip code, you know, and, but most of the VCRs could only do a week. So once they moved from like their original analog cars, so my first VCR had dials on it, literally channel dials you know, yeah. for UHF and VHF. But when they got into like the mid eighties and there was more digital tuning, uh, they would record for a week. So you could set Saturday, Sunday, Monday to, if you set it up, right. Uh, but if you were going away for more than a week, like you could only set it up to like well, record every Wednesday or every Saturday at nine o'clock. If you wanted the golden girls, so like you couldn't, you couldn't set it up for like different things during the week. I was gonna say, eventually I think we got a VCR with a tuner on it. So that
5: way you could set the channel on the VCR instead of on the television. But I do yes. remember the early yes. ones you got, whatever was running through. Right. And I remember, For all the, if you've watched any of the VHS stuff that I've recorded and we've digitized and put out, I would always set it to start recording at least three minutes early and three, four minutes after the time. So, in case something got screwed up with the broadcast, you'd be likely to catch it. Because, especially if it ran like a, if you were going out of town, or I was going to the park and something was going to come on CBS and there was a well, football
4: game in front of it. Yeah, You'd so, be like, su- oh. Sundays. Cause it used to be football just used to be played on Sundays. And then the one Monday night football game and football used to screw up Sunday night television all the time. You know, yeah. it was just, yeah. they'd preempt it by 20, 30 minutes sometimes, depending on how long the game went. So,
5: yeah. So if it was really important. I would set it to like long play so I could get four hours and I'd record a half hour uh, before. And then like two hours after in case, it got delayed for time. So what does all this have to do with Jimmy's letter?
2: Uh, <laughs> Absolutely who, nothing. Who, who's Jimmy? <laughs> no, yeah. just, uh, so Jimmy set the VCR. He got the channel. He did everything right to tape the Christmas morning Christmas parade. And they got home and they realized the local station uh, was playing the church service instead of the parade. <laughs> oh! So Jimmy uh, tried to do everything right. And this is the best part of the story. Uh, he says... Just one sentence. We were disappointed. We were so they, disappointed. so they contacted their local ABC station, uh, and they didn't have a copy of it, but they could put him in touch with the Chicago station to purchase a video. I'm not sure it was legal then, but he bought the entire parade for two hundred dollars from the station. Oh my gosh. Wow! And, and uh, he says we're welcome to a copy of it if we'd like. So,
4: and we are. Uh, Todd can do his AI magic with it. That's right. But I think we already answered them. But if we didn't yet, let's note to respond to them. That's incredible, though. Two hundred dollars in
2: 1994 money. Yeah. Uh, He did say the second video, some highlights from our trip includes uh, uh, opening presents in the contemporary Nancy Kerrigan skating at Hollywood Studios. (laughs) a plumber street performer at uh, MGM studios, more parade video and uh, Christmas show at the contemporary that you spoke of about during the podcast. Um, So, and and one more thing on VCR
4: plus. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just, just let me sell you this, (laughs) ma'am. JT was a Best Buy salesman, by the way. uh,
2: No, no, no. I had a thing called the VCR mouse. Have you heard of this? It was from the direct TV and it uh, was an IR blaster. So you'd set your direct oh, TV yeah. and you'd be like, hey, I want to watch this show. So not just tuning to it, it also turn the VCR on and make it record whatever tape was in there. Now, you could have really screwed up a, a tape in there if you didn't set this right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was another thing that he yeah, still would have got the Christmas service, though.
4: The infrared era was an interesting one. Right. Just thinking f- a few years, we'll be able to talk about TiVo. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd and I still have them. So we
2: still, yeah, don't, don't knock my TiVo.
4: We love our TiVos. That's all right. right
2: well thanks jimmy thanks johns we appreciate all the letters uh if you would uh like to be on the show possibly or have a question comment or anything to share write us to podcast at retrowdw.com uh there's a chance you could end up on the show there's a chance we could answer your question and uh we try to get to everything so thanks for all the messages
4: we might even sell you a vcr <laughs> all right <laughs>
0: All right. Welcome, everybody, to our main topic. Boy, uh, Cranium Command is where we're going in the Wonders of Life Pavilion. And uh, what an amazing pavilion that was. But we have a very special episode here for you. And um, I I love the fact that we're bringing in some guest stars here. Right, Brian? So I'm going to... Let you do the Love Boat intro here. I think we should cue up the Love Boat theme. Bring them in inside. we, we shouldn't put them in a in a in, in a uh, in a heart on a on a ship's wheel. What can we do, Brian? What would maybe well, it's would a have DNA? Them,
4: yeah, those screens. Yeah,
0: yeah. We put one in each eye in Cranium yeah. Command, and uh, so Brian, I'll let you do. I, I, I'm so happy to have them here, and uh, looking forward to this this
4: episode. All right. So normally, when we do one of these episodes, uh, we one of us takes the lead on researching it and putting our thoughts in order. And as we've been making our way through the Wonders of Life Pavilion in recent months, uh, when it got to the point where we were going to discuss Cranium Command and kind of fill out some of the edges of Wonders of Life, I had suggested to our team here that you know we could go out there and do all of that. Uh, but we would just end up getting an email as soon as the episode was over from Bunny Wars and Dreamfinder Guy, the foremost experts on the internet about wonders of life, telling us everything we got wrong or missed or didn't do uh, justice to. So I said, Well, why don't we just have them on the show? And uh, they graciously agreed. So uh, we are thrilled tonight to have with us two folks and we'll ask them about their interest in the pavilion. Uh you can find uh bunny on uh Twitter at bunny underscore wars, I think is the mm-hmm. uh handle. And Dreamfinder Guy, how is your handle actually spelled out?
6: It's just at Dreamfinder and Guy. You smash the two together. There
4: you go. So we are thrilled to welcome Bunny and Dreamfinder Guy to the show. And let me ask, uh, when did your obsession with this pavilion start?
6: Well, I guess uh, I will lead on here. Um, For me, it all began in 2016, which is uh, crazy to me that it's been that long. But it was just um, I was slowly beginning to get into Epcot stuff. I was speaking with my mom about old theme park attractions. And she started talking to me about like, Oh, there was this old ride at Epcot Center called Horizons that I used to really love. And She was like, hey, we should see if there's like a video of it on YouTube or something. She had no idea it had a cult following. She thought she was some weirdo that just liked an old theme park ride. Uh, She now knows that there are several of those old weirdos who like that theme park (laughs) ride probably more than any other that got me thinking. I was like, wow, this Horizons thing is really cool. I bet there was other cool stuff at Epcot. So I just kind of found Wonders of Life on my own. And it was very interesting because Horizons was obviously gone. There was no trace of it left in the park. But with Wonders of Life, it was like half still there. The structure was there. It was partially dismantled. And that like kind of scratched an itch in my head to where it's one cool old old themed entertainment. And two, there's something there for me to go and see and know like, hey, this used to be something else. So on my very first trip to Epcot, I immediately, well, first trip um, after that, I immediately went over to Wonders and just geeked out over, wow, this is really cool. And I just started to do a lot of research on it. And that pretty much led me to where I am today. I just kind of never stopped. And Bunny.
7: Uh, For me, I am a fake Wonders fan. I have never been in the building. I'm just going to get that out of the way now. I have never even been in the building, but boy, I can tell you everything about it. Um, (laughs) I first got interested in Wonders of Life after the buzzy theft happened, which again, oh, what a fake fan. You didn't know about it before that. Uh, My first trip to Epcot was about a week after Wonders closed in 2007, so I never got to experience it. Um, I went on my honeymoon to Disney World and on the ride back... I was on my phone and I was like, you know, I think I remember reading about some old ride that was hidden. I was thinking about Food Rocks, which I also love. Um, but I saw the thread on WDW Magic about Buzzy that was by Dreamfinder guy. And I started reading about it. And I remember showing a picture of Buzzy to my husband and being like, look, this animatronic got stolen from Disney World. And we like laughed about it. And now it's been four years and he sees that animatronic like every day. God bless. (laughs) Shout out to my husband for dealing with me. But um, as I started to research Wonders of Life, because I'm also one of those people that I fall into a rabbit hole, pun intended, and I just keep going and reading and reading and reading. um, I was really, really taken by the fact that Wonders was about enjoying what your body does for you to keep you alive and appreciating your life and it wasn't just about here's the nervous system here's the skeletal system it met really wanted to show that being alive is a very unique experience and it's important to not take it for granted uh, i remember looking at the sign that says um Uh, the back of the the Wonders Marquee that says, it's a wonderful life, thanks for joining us. And that just really, really took me. And I felt like, oh, it was in a way, talking to me like, thank you for joining us and being here to appreciate being alive. Thank you for being here to appreciate the wonders of life. So I just enjoy it from a a mental health perspective that it was so great. There was this monument to enjoying what your body does for you. And so that's why I'm here doing all this research on a thing that I never experienced.
4: (laughs) And before anybody gets the idea that these are just two fans who've read anything that would be out there for anyone to read uh, they have made a scholarly pursuit of this uh, yes. tracking down people from metropolitan life, tracking down people from Disney, tracking down people from third parties uh, who contracted with Disney on this attraction uh, in its first incarnation, which we're going to have them talk about first and then in its final incarnation. And they have amassed more documents. In fact, uh, Dreamfinder guy ended up getting a, boatload of documents from the MetLife archives um, related to the attraction, and uh, these guys have just, they've they've done an amazing job.
7: I... Um I feel that we have to make up for the fact that we didn't get to experience it by absorbing as much information as we possibly can about it. I've spoken personally to over 35 people that have worked on Cranium Command. I've spoken to voice actors. I've spoken to animatronic animators, electrical engineers, um, show designers, concept artists, everything. I want to talk to everyone about it. I don't care what they did. If they had a part of it, I want to let them know that I love it (laughs) and that it was important.
4: So their props here are uh, properly given, right? We, we've established that. Uh, and I should say that the constant, uh, you shouldn't always feel the need to tell people. Uh, Hey, I didn't get to ride this. I mean, it's, it's, it's an important perspective, but people who write books about Abraham Lincoln and John Adams never met them and didn't live when they were presidents. So so (laughs) most, most historical things are written uh, in the past tense by people who didn't actually experience the events, at least large parts of it in, in, in history. So. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, uh, you've done more than people who live through the attraction have done to chronicle its history and to get the stories put down. So let's talk about Cranium Command first. I want to talk about the version prior to our friend Buzzy. So the first attempt at Cranium Command as an attraction, introduce us to Cranium Command as an attraction
7: you guys have spoken about before the life and health pavilion was supposed to be an opening day pavilion it was there from the start um cranium command began as the head trip and it was intended to have the three animatronics that were um reason intellect and the nervous system i believe um that eventually both body wars and cranium command got a big dose of oh, what's popular right now Star Trek let's put Star Trek on everything so they changed it into we would have these three teams of animatronics and they would be controlling looking out the eyes um, the concept of you being inside of a head and you looking out the eyes has been the same through all incarnations of cranium command there's always been an animatronic of sorts um, it went from having three animatronics to going and having several teams of animatronics and kind of like the incredible journey within uh, they had to be like well this is way too ambitious we have to cut this down and they eventually got down to having one animatronic who changed several times um, began I believe his name has always been Captain Cortex since the beginning until he became Buzzy uh, in 1989 so yes
6: So that leads us into Colossal Pictures as Cranium Command, which was basically a marketing firm, a studio that did a lot of stuff like old MTV bumpers. And they were contracted by Disney because the whole show was outsourced to basically just have almost complete creative control. Disney gave them a set of notes that this is what we want. This is what MetLife requires. uh, And a script. Yes. You do it we're going to go focus on finishing up body wars and the rest of this just make sure you have it done by 89 we want to have this finished and open in the pavilion that was set up in the style of like a 50s educational cartoon everything was completely animated and the eyes were not on constantly it was more of a thing where it was like oh let's watch this scenario and let's hear how the body parts respond to it. And Captain Cortex would be there to be the narrator of the experience and just like the person who's piloting the brain, who makes all these decisions. And did he make the right decision? Did he make the wrong decision? And it got to a point where They were just about done with this version of the attraction. They had done voice tests. They had done pencil tests. They were just about to send it to ink and paint. They sent their nearly final polished product over to Disney, and Disney's reaction was not great. We have spoken to the director of the Colossal Pictures Project, and he was told that Disney's reaction was, hey, this is great stuff. We just like to finish it ourselves. We want to like add our own sprinkle in here. Great work, you guys. Uh, We're going to give you a lot of money as a kill fee since we're not finishing with your work. Thank you for everything you've done. We're going to go do it ourselves now. But on Disney's end, it was more of a like, oh my god we can't show this in a theme park people already think epcot center is boring they're going to look at this and think oh dear this is just a bad educational short that they're passing off as a theme park attraction we have to fix this really fast they used
7: There's, expletives to describe it yes they, specifically it jeffrey, jeffrey katzenberg,
6: katzenberg. <laughs> who uh, was not a fan of it and immediately wanted it changed so that that much
0: that they actually use uh, That's just is crazy that like this is they not, they didn't just, want anything to do with it.
4: Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, and Jerry Reese has told that story uh, a bunch of times that basically Michael, Ka- Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg came to him and said, this thing's a mess. Can you go take a look at it and fix it?
7: And yeah. we've spoken to, I've spoken to animators who worked on Colossal Pictures Cranium Command. I've spoken to Jerry Reese, the director, and I've all asked them, Did you guys know it was bad while you were working on it? And the director, George Evelyn, who's a wonderful guy, I love him. He was like, oh, no, I thought it was great. But the animators were like, yeah, we all kind of knew, but we were getting paid for it. So apparently they couldn't all decide on like one art style to go with some of them wanted like a super flat style some of them wanted the the disney style and they couldn't agree with it and one of the animators steve Moore, described it as being a, a mismatch just a mishmash it was awful um it the demo audio is available it is very difficult to listen to it is just <laughs> bad um
3: Nobody ever had a thought that came to them from out of the blue. It came to them because of the work that goes on in their cranium command.
7: Captain Cortex is not a likable character at all, which is one of the big things that they had to change, which is how we ended up getting buzzy. Um, He was just a a cocky, rude, know-it-all. And the lesson from it was just so pretentious and it talked down to you and just sounded like a this is your day as you go through and encounter stress like not exciting i believe jerry reese specifically said not exciting that was the main thing he went for with the newer version
3: the next time someone asks you who's the brains in this outfit you can say
6: why it's my captain cortex
4: we are the cranium command
3: using our heads the best we can. If the is what we need, we know how to succeed. We'll solve any problem or demand. Yes, we are the
6: cranium command. With crazy, colossal pictures as cranium. cranium command, usually our first instinct is to when someone's worked on this. We need to go contact them. But with Colossal Pictures, they went out of business in 1999. So there's not a company line to contact because there's no company. So when we spoke to George Evelyn, he said that when the company closed up shop, their archives got trashed. He only knew of one person that we're trying to contact who might have anything other than himself. Which Heather he,
7: Selleck, if you're okay. listening, answer your email. <laughs> I'm trying to email you.
6: And Uh, the legacy of that version of the show is kind of crazy to think about just with the way that we have dug into it, because it was pretty much killed, it was abandoned, it was meant to be forgotten about because it never made it into the park, except it did in several ways, because they did not kill the original version of the show until May of 1989, which was when they started doing it in-house. So the pavilion opened that October. So show install had already begun. If you look online, sometimes you'll see a picture of Buzzy and he'll be wearing like a red jacket and a blue hat. That was all from the original version. That was his original character design. They had to finish this so fast on a limited budget. That they just redressed the original animatronic to look like buzzy because he was originally a completely different character that's why the animatronic looks different than how buzzy does in the pre-show and stuff was already designed with this version of the attraction in mind the original show marquee had to be redressed with pictures of the actors who played the final version because Set pieces were already fabricated, they were going all in on this version of the show, and then suddenly they had to pull the emergency brake and basically start over.
7: I believe they had what was it, six weeks to do the pre-show from start to finish, which the pre-show is, is so special and important in its own right, and just to think that we were that close to not getting the Beauty and the Beast that we know today because uh, it was directed by Kirkwise and Gary Trousdale who were just uh, we need someone to do the pre-show here you two animators go who had no <laughs> directing experience so they did such a good job they went on to do Beauty and the Beast uh, had Cranium Command not been axed at the last minute like that and changed we wouldn't have Beauty and the Beast we wouldn't have Atlantis we wouldn't have 100 back of Notre Dame like it's it's such a important keystone there that people don't seem to realize
4: and i think jerry's story is that that he had done so much work in disney mgm studios and they came over to him the day that that opened may 1st 1989 and said good now that you're done here we have this mess over here you need to fix
7: and we've asked several people what do you think led to this being bad um and the, the biggest answer that we have gotten is that there were just too many cooks in the kitchen. There was MetLife wanted to get in on it. Disney wanted to get in on it. Colossal Pictures had to have their say on what they were doing. So at that point, it was just, the script was getting pulled between three companies, three huge corporations, and it's just, it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> It's really bad.
4: So that's the story of the attraction we didn't see let's talk about the one that we did see and it does start well first there are varying marquees and things like that that we've talked about because it went through uh different changes to draw people to the back of the pavilion where it was located uh, and get them into the ride because one of the things about the design of wonders of life is the attraction spots were a little counterintuitive compared to the other pavilions that they were kind of tucked away uh and there wasn't giant flashing things like there were in some of the other pavilions like come this way come this way come this way it was a pavilion that promoted discovery uh, and you had to kind of wander around And when you walked in the front door we talked about that in our prior episode it was not immediately evident where everything was there was a map there for you so you enter this attraction and there's a couple of uh Figurines of, uh, or, or artist renderings of general knowledge pointing you the way to go and asking you to en- enroll in his army. Uh, tell us about your, you know, we're walking into the pavilion and we're approaching the pre show. Tell us a little bit about that walk.
6: So, going into Wonders Alive, there's of course that main entrance ramp. And once you take that ramp down into the building, there's, of course, the Goofy About Health stage on the left and the anima, uh, Anacomical Players stage on the right. And if you took that right and started walking by the Anacomical Players, you would pass by the Pure and Simple snack bar and the little sensory hands-on area with the touch and feel exhibits. And right in the middle of those sensory exhibits in the Sensory fun house lied the entrance to Cranium Command. And that was kind of a detriment to it to begin with, because it's just kind of shoved in the middle of these other exhibit things. So if you're walking through the exhibit things, you might just figure, oh, this is another one of those things where I stick my hand in a hole and try to feel if this is a baseball or something. Oh, we can skip this. We've seen enough here. We can just walk on by. They realized at that point, They needed to make it more obvious that it was a show to get people to see.
7: After this whole thing where they had to redo it at the last minute and go through hell to get it going, just no one's going to it.
6: (laughs) So they started trying to make it more obvious that this was a show back here. They began with, in the mid-90s, they would put out billboards in front of the building saying, Hey, come inside and see Cranium Command. It's a show. It's worth watching. Here's what it is. Come this way. Walk up this ramp. And they would put a frames everywhere in wonders, saying, "Cranium command is this way. Look at the arrow. There's a thing over here. Come see it."
4: See, they hadn't discovered hula hoops and bubble blowers yet. That's the thing. <laughs> what and were those other, the, the bazanka balls
0: or whatever they were? Remember the those? Ballzac. The Ballzac. Ball That's, That's it. Ballzac. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my gosh.
6: And the culmination of them trying to get people to realize this is a show, come watch it, came in the mid to late 90s when the main marquee finally got a refresh. That dying vestige of the original show that looked like a human body with all the different body parts in it and with the cranium command lettering at the top, they decided to remove all of that stuff and make it look like a theater marquee. It's a theater show. Come into the thing that looks like a theater marquee. It says it's a special engagement. Come see it. Here's general knowledge and Buzzy, the people you'll see. It's a theater show. We want to make that very clear. It's not another sensory exhibit. It's a theater show. So <laughs> Hold on. Is, finally, is it a theater
0: show or a sensory exhibit? I'm still confused.
6: <laughs> I think it might be one of those sensory exhibits, but I feel like in order to find out for sure, we have to walk past the marquee.
0: You know what's funny about this DFJs is it's very similar to what you had in the land um for kitchen cabaret. Um I, I know you may have not seen that, but uh Kitchen Cabaret was down where Soren is now. It was tucked away. There was a marquee inside, but there was you really didn't know because you had to go through this like fake but, little street thing to get there.
4: But if you remember they brought that marquee on the ramp. Yeah. It started on the ground floor and they actually the stencil on the wall went all the way up to the second floor to kind of draw exactly. your attention to come
0: it. down here. And so they yes. still need to get people down there. But uh, I, I just find it's interesting how when you have a sub attraction because Body Wars was the place to go. Right. You you need a way. Uh, I mean, let's be fair. This is a this is a, a B. You could argue C attraction, C ticket. Right. Uh, And and you got to get people in there because you want crowds to go away. You want to reduce the friction elsewhere uh, in the pavilion. Bunny, you got something?
7: Okay. Um, DFG mentioned the Cranium Command marquee with the Cranium Command logo. I just wanted to say... When we interviewed the director of Colossal Pictures Cranium Command, I asked him, did you ever get to go see Cranium Command yourself? And he said, yeah, the first thing I noticed when I walked in is that they used my logo. And he said, I just doodled that like on a piece of paper. I didn't think they would go and use that for the big marquee. It's in like the a, a Mickey Mouse font that I've seen used before, but um, that's a holdover from Colossal Pictures Cranium Command, which there are a lot of, and we will get into that at some point, but lots of it remains about
6: more than we even mentioned before there are vestiges in the main show oh yeah it, it reminds me i don't know
2: how i might be able to say it, this art style so like back to i don't know why i keep going to nickelodeon today but they if you remember you can't do that on television it was like this this style of that like animation. exploding words yeah well that and then it had like Almost like pastel looking people like moving. They were like photographs that almost looked like paper dolls moving along. And that's what this kind of reminds me of it, that. It's
4: so funny you mentioned that before, How Answers, because when I watch it, I'm like, that looks like Monty Python. And, and Yeah,
2: there you go. That's that's it too. Yeah. And then even the picture out front of the, the kid's head with the four colors on it, like outside, that's the same style. And it almost was like a 80s into the 90s type thing or something. But it's weird that that reminds me of that the old, the original entryway there to green and come in.
6: I can like sense the mutual anticipation between us to just like talk about the tiny things in the pre-show and like, oh, I'm
7: dying. This is my favorite (laughs) thing in the world to talk about.
6: I I love that we've already mentioned uh, the Monty Python-esque animation because that Mm. was, and we will talk about it when we get there, but that's, (laughs) those animations were made by someone who worked on both the original and the final main show of the attraction So that was one little holdover. There was one member of the crew who worked on the original and worked on the final. Steve Moore. I
5: I was going to say that that style kind of permeated the 80s and 90s, even on MTV with videos where they would shoot. It it was an inexpensive, I mean, really what it comes down to. It was an inexpensive way at times to be able to shoot um, film. If you didn't have the budget to shoot film, you could shoot stills at 12 frames a second or 10 frames a second and put them on an animation stand and film that. And if you wanted to paint on top of them, either in like a Quantel light box, or you could physically paint with watercolors or something and reshoot it. Like it was, it was a a style, you know, even before take on me, that was, there were tons and tons of videos, uh, during the 1980s, where you'd have that pastel painted overlook. I'm sure technology probably enabled that to happen, uh, Easier and cheaper at some point, but um, I mean, talk about colossal pictures. That would have been definitely in their wheelhouse of animation styles that they would have used on, uh, for, you know, either MTV promos or commercials that they worked on.
7: They Speaking did a of, lot of stuff.
5: Yes, they so, did I mean, a whole speak- lot of st- and yeah. great stuff too.
4: Speaking of artwork, DFG, didn't you come across some original artwork of the original characters in an odd way?
6: Yes, um, I actually was meaning to mention this earlier, but with our work on trying to find out about Colossal Pictures' as Cranium Command, usually in these cases, unless it's Disney because Disney never wants to share their stuff, we try to go to people and go to corporate archives. So with Colossal Pictures, they closed up shop in 1999, so they don't have a company to contact, there's no archives, We talked to George Evelyn, who said that all of that got junked when the company shut down. So that was kind of a dead lead there. But we, of course, want to still find as much original content as we can. So while the original pencil tests may be missing, we still have key art of the characters, which came about in a rather strange way. Because this kill switch on the original attraction came so late in the development, Production materials for the attraction were already gotten by MetLife and hung up in their corporate lounge. So, as decor in their lounge, they had this framed image of the four body parts that were in the original Cranium Command. And it would make sense as a hey, these are the guys from the attraction down there if that were to come about. But they just left them there as a confusing artifact throughout the entirety of the. MetLife VIP facilities operation. So I would have to imagine it would have been a funny story somebody walking in there, like, what are these? What's the story behind it? But Director of External Relations Jim McCaskill was MetLife's contact for Epcot Center from 89 to 2001 when MetLife dropped out. And when MetLife dropped their sponsorship, they had corporate property in there, including these original pieces of artwork. And MetLife basically said, yeah we don't want these. So you, you're technically a MetLife employee. Uh, If you want any of this, it's yours. Go ahead and take it home. So (laughs) he did. And that artwork is now the property of his stepson who posted about it. And we talked to them about it and got the entire story behind it. So he may own the last of the production materials of the original Colossal Pictures Cranium Command. And it's a very cool artifact because it's basically all we have to imagine what the final show could have been like. Right. Of course, the search continues. Hopefully, we'll find more someday, but it's not looking very likely.
7: We find a lot of strange things that way, just from people posting them on social media and being like, hey, look at this. Like, um, I'm in contact with an a show, let's see, an electrical engineer. Um yes. He has the crate that Buzzy was shipped to Epcot in. Uh, It's from when he was Captain Cortex. So it says Captain Cortex, uh, one head, six valves, something like that. (laughs) And he showed us a picture of the barcode that you would scan that was like Captain Cortex animatronic. And he was like, this is Buzzy's birth certificate. (laughs) But just... Could you ever imagine finding something like that? No. For somebody and then,
4: keeping it. Yeah. Like,
7: yes, he made a, a like a, a tool shelf out of it. He also <laughs> had the box that the body war simulators were sent to Epcot in, but still just like.
0: That's a pretty big box. <laughs>
7: yes, I think in <laughs>
6: fairness, it was only like a handful of actuators that they used with it or like half the assembly or something. But on the box shipping label, it said like simulator assembly, such and such parts. Life <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah.
7: Yeah, and so we just our research is like going on Facebook and looking up every single word we could possibly think of that would be related to wonders of life, and then going on the Internet Archive, um, going through Google search, and then looking up by color, looking up by year, looking up by day until we find something interesting and. The What I love about Cranium Command is it's like a puzzle piece that gets mailed to me once a month of a bigger puzzle. Like, oh my God, guess what we found? We found footage of the Captain Cortex animatronic being tested in 1987. It's only one second of footage, but that's enough to keep me going for another month until I find something else.
6: I'll, I'll have that Up time. at 3 a.m. desperately Googling Epocot, MetLife Pavilion, Insurance Ride, something like that. Just <laughs> any term or any misspelling that could possibly dig up something new.
7: Something I love is that every person who I've spoken to about Cranium Command has had a positive recollection of it. Anyone who worked on it, only has good things to say about it. They just, it either was a big turning point in their career or they had a lot of fun doing it or they remember it fondly. Just everyone's always excited to talk about current command, that makes me so happy. So
6: past the marquee, which they finally changed to make it obvious that, okay, what does anybody remember what it is?
7: I'm not sure, wasn't it a sensory exhibit?
6: Something like that. (laughs) You would walk into this small hallway that would have wall carpet brightly colored and the main sign that said the recruitment center is this way general knowledge wants you and you would walk past all these little cue signs and a led sign that would list uh, the countdown ticking down for when the next show was and they had and brain teasers just, yes Eventually, and so there are be small
7: little-
5: after the first year when there was nothing to look at except for the the carpeted walls. I'm
6: yes, sure when they that was because they things.
7: were like, quick, get all this stuff out of here. This isn't <laughs> the version we're doing anymore.
6: And so you would walk from small hallway to small hallway to a little holding area. And what was interesting is that it was an open air entrance and exit were together, there was just a little like maybe two, three foot wall that separated the two. So you could walk over and see people exiting the show from waiting in line, because there weren't separate queues and exit hallways quite like a modern attraction would be, it was basically one room with a small divider. And when the attraction finally closed, that small divider was removed to make that a big space for them to use for festival stuff or whatever purposes they needed. But that's into the far future now. So past that holding area where you would see fun signs, like there was a purple brain, which has uh, some interesting connotations to it. How do you get like super terribly injured while uh, commanding someone? That's uh, fun stuff to think about (laughs) while you're at Disney World but you would sit in that holding area until you were finally let into the pre-show.
7: Someday I will get to see it in HD. (laughs) Disney, let me have the HD Cradio Command pre-show. I know you have it. Golly, I love the Cranium Command pre-show. As I said, it is a very important piece of Disney history, and I don't feel that it is uh, recognized as such. Um, the pre-show was done by Kirk Wise and Gary Chowsdale directed it. They brought in... Um... As I mentioned before, there was the issue with... Audiences just didn't like Captain Cortex. He was just rude. He was just smarmy and cocky. So they brought in Dave Prixma, who you may know as animating and designing Mrs. Potts and Chip, the Gargoyles in Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Flounder, uh, Flick from Pocahontas. Um, He was known as the King of Cute. So they brought him in to change Captain Cortex into who was temporarily Sparky and then Buzzy um but they kept the captain cortex design up until like the last minute when they changed it to be more of a military theme um he said his inspirations for buzzy were radar from mash uh, which is obvious Mm -hmm. um ranger woodlore from the hunt for the bear cartoons uh ranger woodlore and buzzy are very similar in their mannerisms both of them do a lot of very gentle sweet hand things um but he said that he wanted him to be an average Joe. He could be anyone that was there watching the pre-show who, you know, comes in late to their first day of class. Um, he just wanted him to be relatable and someone that the audiences would feel empathy towards and want to root for instead of this smarmy guy who was just making fun of the, the hypothalamus and calling him a, a hypopotamus and all the stupid jokes that go on in Colossal Picture Screening.
0: I think they were very successful in that because Buzzy is relatable. You you as you begin to learn who he is, you you kind of feel sorry for him but you cheer him on and you want to you you want him to succeed and you see your own self in a lot of not only the boy we're going to talk about but uh you know he he well in the pre-show you're going to talk about he gets a little bullied and you want him to win.
6: While we're on the topic of character changes between the colossal pictures version and the final version One of my very favorite anecdotes while researching the switchover is when we were speaking with George Evelyn, he said that in their version, General Knowledge was more of a kindly uncle character, the just like the supportive, I'm proud of you sport, but you can do better and stuff like that. Just the gentle, encouraging person. And then when Disney switched it over, they made him more of a like stereotypical Hollywood drill sergeant character. And George Evelyn told us that when he finally went out to go see the show, that was the one change that he was most disappointed with because he felt like they put a lot of love into General Knowledge's character and he didn't like how Disney took him and made him the stereotypical yelling, angry drill sergeant.
7: He was deeply offended.
6: (laughs) Yes, he was incredibly (laughs) upset by that. That was the one switchover change that he was most saddened about. And honestly... I can imagine he was probably very proud of the work that went into it, but I can't imagine General Knowledge as anything but the drill sergeant character.
3: All right, you pitiful sub-billage, sad saxized front listen up. I'm your commanding officer, General Knowledge. And it's my job to turn you mealy-mouthed meatheads into a crack squadron of cranium commandos.
7: George Evelyn himself was in the military, and that is why he took it so personally, because <laughs> he said that he was like, he really went off about it. It was like, drill sergeants don't act like that. They just want the best for you. Um, He said General Dodge was supposed to be a kindly uncle to Captain Cortex and not this screaming drill sergeant. But, oh man, he talked about that more than anything else.
5: Yeah, I don't remember at what point we talked about it, but I think we sort of pointed towards like Full Metal Jacket being that coming out and being a popular film. and, And that sort of, I think launched the idea of like the angry drill sergeant as
4: a well, character and and that lee emery character uh that performance uh just became the iconic image of the training recruits anywhere right i mean so um, much so
5: they used him for toy story yeah when when they needed a drill sergeant just for his that, voice
2: so. is so iconic now associated with that that's yeah uh
7: he was originally based on george patton um his intro was all inspired by Patton but it was just supposed to be more regal and more of a distinguished military man instead but, of yeah, but, As he described yeah. the the intro of general knowledge for us but um general knowledge was one of the small holdovers from it they said it's got to be about stress management and there's got to be a guy named general knowledge basically <laughs> when, and when that I'm
6: was there. straight from MetLife that was their demands it's like Disney we have trust in you this is what you need to keep.
7: There is a lot of mystery as to why Buzzy sounds completely different in the pre-show and the actual show itself, and that is because he is voiced by two different people. Um, In the main show, he is voiced by Scott Curtis, who also plays Bobby, the 12-year-old boy. In the pre-show, he's voiced by Jared Rushton, who, I believe, during the time cranium command was being produced he was in big he was filming big and he he's the the friend in that movie
4: billy Kopecki.
7: um and so he was not as readily available as scott curtis was and scott curtis told us that he initially went in and knew that he was going to be playing bobby but as time went on and they realized they didn't have enough time to to dub everything with Jared Rushton, they were like, just voice the animatronic too. It's like it's like you're speaking with his voice. So <laughs> Buzzy goes from sounding like an adult in the pre-show to sounding like a 12-year-old in the show. And it's just one of those mysteries. <laughs> when I spoke to Dave, uh, Dave Pricksma he was like, yeah, they didn't even really look at my design when they made that animatronic. They were just like slapping clothes on it as fast as they could. <laughs> so i always find it strange that the animatronic that was stolen or misplaced or whatever you believe happened is not even buzzy it's it's captain cortex (laughs) that was redressed with buzzy stuff
5: you know and it's funny for all the years i never felt like there was a disconnect it's like the bomber jacket and the glasses of the hat was enough for me to go like yeah that's him but when you really look at the character they are so vastly different
7: At first I thought of it like, oh, we're seeing him in 3D. So he has like a 3D, but like, it's so, (laughs) so strange. Uh, And on the
6: topic of the buzzy animatronic, just to trail off a little bit here. um, Something that's very special about him is just how he was composited. There was um, the fact that he was on a boom and could like rush above the stage was a big deal because that was not something that Disney had ever attempted before that had ever really been done. So he was this highly advanced figure that was not bolted to the floor. He was bolted to a boom and could be moved around to look out each screen. And he also was the first Disney animatronic to use hydraulics and pneumatics. His hydraulic functions were his arms and his hands and stuff like that. And then his eyelids and stuff would be pneumatic to where he would open and shut his eyelids, his eyebrows, that would all be air. And all these lines would travel along the boom and then back to the back of the stage. And it was because of a lot of these complexities that the animatronic faced some maintenance issues. We spoke to Jerry Reese about it too, where um, a few years after it opened, Buzzy would be facing sync issues. And Jerry Reese had to send over his documentation from programming about like, hey, this is what you need to do to fix all of this. That
7: was 1992. He said he got very gummy, which is like, that's (laughs) not very long after it opened. He said that the animatronic just started missing its mark on everything and just moving very slowly. Mm. Uh, Jerry Reese said Buzzy was the most difficult animatronic he had ever worked with, that he was just... I the animatronic is just cursed um he didn't function 100 correctly even before being installed into the show um in test footage you can see like one of his eyes is way slower than the other one and it was like that when the show opened um doug griffith and dave Feiten programmed the buzzy animatronic and jerry's told us that It just, he didn't want to respond to commands. It didn't want to move properly. He said that at one point, the animatronic, just a burst of hydraulic fluid came out the back of him and Buzzy slumped over like he was dead. And if you look at pictures of the animatronic after it was abandoned you'll see where he continued to have these like hydraulic problems even afterwards it would start like I can, I can date pictures of the animatronic based on like how much hydraulic fluid has stained the screen underneath him because it got worse and worse with time. but we have a lot of accounts from CMs where they said that Cranium Command would 101 because Buzzy would just spray hydraulic fluid all over the audience like, <laughs> I have had multiple people tell me about that, that it was like there was a splash zone in the first couple rows and they would have to go shut Cranium Command down for the day because Buzzy would just
0: It, it just <laughs> reminds me of Dan Aykroyd as as uh, as uh what's her name in, oh, in Julia, Child. Like, Julia Child when he cuts his Oh, Cut
3: along to the Pope's nose, like so. Oh, oh, oh. Now I've done it. I've cut the Dickens out of my finger. Well, I'm glad in a way this happened. You know, accidents do happen. From time to time, in the kitchen, we've
1: never really discussed what to do.
4: That is, I don't know if it's an apocryphal story, and I don't think it is because it's in I don't know one of Marty Scular's books or one of them. Uh, when they did great moments with Mr. Lincoln originally, the yeah. hydraulic fluid was red. And it sprung a leak during one of the shows and it looked like Lincoln had been shot. And oh and Walt was like, change the color of the fluid so that doesn't happen again.
7: After the theft, um, if you look at pictures from after Buzzy was removed, there's like hydraulic fluid spray all over the stage. It's very sad.
6: And that's another thing that was kind of crazy is his lines were pressurized. So yeah, he was still when he like was there. cut down, that like that pressure let out onto the stage. and They were as late as 2018, I believe, which was the year that he went missing. They were still doing testing in there, which there's a common misconception that they were testing because, oh, they're going to bring back Cranium Command for a limited time run for this special event or whatever. The intention behind the testing was doubling as testing Buzzy to make sure he still works so that when he gets taken to the archives they will know he's in working order. Which he
7: did. He still worked. He synced with his audio and everything. He was fine.
6: The main thing that they did when they were in their testing was just making sure the lines themselves still worked. So that if they were ever to reuse that theater, redress it for a different show, for a new Wonders expansion, that the lines could still be recycled and they wouldn't have to redo all that show installation. They could just use the hardware that was there. And that, of course, never came to be. They removed all of that show hardware, gutted the building. But the main thing that was behind that testing was just making sure that those lines themselves were still reliable.
7: So the pre-show, you see that there are all these little tiny people who... Um pilot brains. The brains are represented by actual photocopies of the people that worked on the attraction and their kids. Um, And that was a holdover from Colossal Pictures Cranium Command. They also had the photocopied heads in that version as well. Uh, but they replaced them with the people who worked on this version of the attraction when it came out. Um, so everyone's talking about, oh, we heard that there's going to be a new commander. Oh, he's probably a pushover. It's not a big deal. But then general knowledge comes in with his tank that t- tears through the wall and he comes out all full metal jacket, screaming at the top of his lungs and giving everyone a lesson on what the brain is and how it works. Um, they have the the brain is so advanced. We have had some successes, and it shows Albert Einstein. And then we've had some failures, and you see Ernest, uh, who was originally supposed to be Richard Nixon. Um, it was that either line, both- though,
0: never get never fails to get the audience. It never I, fails to well, get the audience at all. When
4: I rewatched today, yeah, which was cold for the, I hadn't seen the watch the attraction in years. And when I rewatched it today, uh, I laughed when. <laughs> Vern Troyer popped up. I'm like, oh, look at that.
7: It was either gonna be Richard Nixon or the Three Stooges. And the Three Stooges like estate was like, Oh, absolutely not. But Richard Nixon's <laughs> estate was like Okay. like So it's just funny that <laughs> of those two, that was the one, but they decided not to be controversial and have Ernest instead. Um, as General Knowledge is giving his whole booming lecture about how the brain works, he gets interrupted by a little teeny tiny recruit who stumbles in very politely, but very loudly and makes his way over into his seat and, of course... This draws a lot of attention, general knowledge points him out, makes him get on the stage and we are introduced to Buzzy, who is going to be the hero of the ride. He is the person who we see getting his baptism by fire. Um, he shows up late and...
3: What's your name,
1: recruit?
3: Buzzy, sir! Do you think you're ready to pilot a brain, fuzzy? That's Buzzy, sir. Oh yes, you just let me in Do me you know that the brain can process up to three million bytes of information per second? Uh,
7: why you say, I don't sir. think you've got to special a lot of dim bulb, freak uh, I-, I don't think you be understand
3: sure. the amount of concentration and commitment it takes to run this lovely unit.
7: He describes how the cranium commandos work from a seat that is located inside your cortex, and then they run how these people go about their day. And then we see the very scary cut out heads that gave people nightmares
0: yeah um, i mean i'm just thinking about this while i'm sleeping is my head going in a counterclockwise direction coming off going back to like the location yeah and then and, right exactly just shipped off comes back at night with a new guy in there prepped and ready for the new day i i don't know i'm gonna have to i'm a little concerned about my sleep now.
7: <laughs> for those who are familiar with it um Anytime you're watching Cranium Command, the pre-show or the main show, and you see something that is a pencil sketch, that is from colossal pictures cranium command they did reuse a lot of their pencil sketches in terms of like the the lungs as bellows and when it shows uh the brain opening up and you see the schematics of the brain that's all from colossal pictures cranium command um it's the same um, in the show portion as well you'll see like there's a fish tank with some fish in it in the very beginning when bobby is dreaming that's also from colossal pictures cranium command so um george evelyn was thrilled that some little bits of it in it up in there and he he loved it very much as well but uh he told us he was happy he worked on the controversial version yeah. um so everyone gets their assignments and we see that buzzy is the last one who hasn't gotten his assignment he politely reminds general knowledge that he's still there general knowledge looks at his list and says
3: some genius at h2 has picked you to pilot the most unstable craft in the fleet you, you don't mean you. you guess it's thinking An adolescent boy. This particular model is 12 years old. Very unpredictable.
7: Don't worry, sir. I can (laughs) hang. Buzzy, and I feel this is part of what makes him so endearing and lovable, is that he's just like, all right, I'll do it. Put me in the brain. I don't care. Here I go. And... He just has this enthusiasm that feels very infectious as he stumbles and jumps into the brain and falls down through it. And then he tries to, you know, wink and give a thumbs up to the girl next to him who just ignores him completely and just sets him up for, oh, golly, what is going to happen here? (laughs) He, and there are
6: some great visual gags in that scene too that they're just like blinking you'll miss it as to when they're loading the 12 year old boy's head with stuff that a 12 year old boy I, would I, like
4: i was trying to catch that i saw coca-cola and some candy bars and what else there's was a going sports on
7: illustrated there? a couple sports illustrated swimsuit edition magazines <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, there's like
6: ariel uh who, yeah, the first that appearance was the first screen appearance of ariel And then there was like an X-Wing and C-3PO and just a bunch of blink and you'll miss it stuff.
4: Yeah, it all pours in there very quickly, but I
7: was like, I saw some of that stuff. So then they, um, general knowledge turns towards the audience and breaks the third wall and says... Hey,
3: you gold bricks, this ain't a spectator sport! Where do you think you are, Disney World? Get your strollers in line and hustle on the double! Move it, move it,
1: move it!
7: i just i love that third wall breaking with the where do you think you are disney world It's the implications of that are crazy too (laughs) but uh then you exit the pre-show area and you go into the theater where it looks like you are looking out two big eyeballs and there's a screen at the top and then four little screens at the bottom that are monitors and you see buzzy in between the eyes who is now an animatronic that may or may not look like he did in the pre-show you just use your imagination he's 3d now he has hair (laughs) he looks a little different and is voiced completely differently as well but you still know it's him
6: before we completely trail off of the pre-show i would be remiss if i didn't mention the like irony of the get your strollers in line and hustle line because Strollers were not permitted in Wonders of Life in the original operating run they didn't care after it went seasonal there was designated stroller parking outside we have like old training information that says if you are working Wonders of Life greeter you are not to allow a stroller into the building so it's like yeah there are no strollers here to move into the main show
5: <laughs> Who um do you know who did the music for the pre-show and for Cranium Command cuz that is exceptionally well done too
6: David Newman It's David Newman
5: like they did such a good job of that and especially the way that they let it run through the transition as you're walking into the theater that that yeah that march keeps going really just it keeps your mood elevated and up like as you make that transition from the pre-show to the show and you're like oh yeah this is this is awesome this is like you you feel the energy i think it's palpable of like or it was it was palpable of like oh this i'm still in it it's like there's no even though there could be Downtime, you know, sometimes it would take a couple of minutes for everybody to get set up. It's like it's still that music uh, carried you through and like kept you anticipating the show start.
6: So after the show doors close on the exit hall and the pre-show both, then you would see these illuminated light bars that provided the theater with its main lighting besides its top show lighting. And a cast member would come in from the pre-show side And on occasion would say something to the effect of take it away, Buzzy, or would just be like, oh, yeah, it's time to start the show. Enjoy Ukrainian command. You would listen to the uh, no eating, drinking or smoking announcements.
4: And no videotaping. I I see every videotape I have of the thing. It says no videotaping.
6: God bless those
7: brave souls. (laughs) Yes, those
6: rule breakers who graciously allowed us this preservation. Sticking it to the man. And then the show lights would dim. And then it would be complete darkness, and Buzzy would lead on with this iconic...
3: Gee, it sure is dark in here. There's gotta be a light around here somewhere. Oh, this
7: ought to do it. Whoa!
3: All right, pinhead, listen up!
7: general knowledge appears on the top screen and tells buzzy about what we are about to see um that buzzy is going to get through a day being a 12 year old boy who has to make some very hard decisions throughout the day um and he threatens buzzy by telling him that if he messes it up he will have to pilot a chicken instead which everyone is horrified at the thought it never really goes into more about piloting the chicken but every cranium commando is terrified of this so general knowledge threatens buzzy um and disappears we see general knowledge appear a couple times to yell at buzzy throughout the show but um buzzy readies himself he starts looking at his controls there he's sitting in a seat that has a whole bunch of levers all over and lots of buttons there's a spotlight shining onto the animatronic um But he is immediately greeted by a small robot-like character that appears from the bottom and introduces himself as the hypothalamus. Okay, crew, report in. Left brain, right brain. Come in, please.
1: Yes, Captain. Did you call?
7: Uh, no. I guess I
1: just pressed the wrong button. It figures. No one ever wants to talk to me. Who are you, anyway?
0: I'm only the hypothalamus. I only monitor all the automatic functions of the body. All the things you don't need to worry about. I'm used to being
5: taken for granted. Blink, blink. Breathe, breathe. Day in, day out. Never a thank
0: you. Never a job well done.
7: Gee, I'm sorry. I had no idea very fun character he's voiced by Kirk Wise, the director of the pre-show who was not supposed to voice hypothalamus and they just threw it in and at the last second they brought everyone in to listen and then jerry reese was like hey oh you like that voice well guess who that is the person who wasn't supposed to be the hypothalamus and i think it was michael eisner was like you bastard or something like that
6: <laughs> i think it but, was katzenberg i don't oh, think yeah. he was with eisner at that screening but it uh, was a big deal that because he worked on the show itself behind the scenes, he wasn't supposed to have a lead role.
7: Uh, hypothalamus lets us know what he does. He controls all the automatic functions of the brain. Blink, blink, breathe, breathe. Never a thank you. Never a job well done. Buzzy is very apologetic. This is in direct contrast to the Colossal Pictures' craniochranea version where Captain Cortex just makes fun of him the whole time and calls him a hypopotamus. Um, but uh The hypothalamus has a very droning, monotone voice, and he's kind of there as the comic relief, uh, just coming up to talk to Buzzy every once in a while throughout the show. But uh, Buzzy gets introduced to all the different parts of the body, which are played by a bunch of celebrities that were very popular at the time, but like most things in Wonders of Life, it quickly became very dated.
6: We're not quite there yet.
7: Oh, continue then. Go ahead.
6: So from the beginning, Hypothalamus is called by Buzzy, and they have their introductory meeting. The Hypothalamus lets Buzzy know that Bobby is asleep. He is in the dream sequence. Um, he
7: um, He's like, you should have had this in class, Buzzy. How do you not know about this? Just more of the like making Buzzy appear so little and pathetic throughout it um, to build up to him and, doing a great and job. And unprepared, yeah. Yes.
6: And then Buzzy, of course, decides, all right, it's time to get started. Let's wake him up. And he did that a little too late because suddenly Bobby, his eyes are open. His mom is right in front of him.
1: Whoa, whoa, what's going on? What's happening? Whoa, oh, the alarm clock. Eyes, find the
3: clock. Arms, hands, hit it. (coughs) (sighs) Well, I guess we're awake now, huh? Good morning, guys.
6: You see the one and only appearance in the whole show of Elimination saying that oh, he has to pee really badly, but no, you can hold it. And it's never addressed ever again in the rest of the show. (laughs) He never goes to pee or anything. It's just, I mean, (laughs) did he pee himself? Did he find a way to go during the day? It's never addressed.
7: I love reading comments where people are like, this scared me so bad as a kid. I thought he was going to pee his pants. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
4: they did love shooting water at you in attractions back then. so. Oh, the
6: hydraulic fluid. It's 4D. No.
4: Oh, my God.
7: <laughs>
4: That's not hydraulic fluid. <laughs>
7: he um he has to go downstairs and eat breakfast but oh no it he's in too much of a hurry meanwhile the stomach is screaming at him that oh my god i'm so hungry please go eat anything and nope we're just on our way to school as fast as we can um get made fun of by our little sister we almost run over a dog as we're running out the door um make our way memory to memory indicates
6: the presence of a small rabid poodle yeah <laughs> That's a
7: a joke from the Colossal Pictures version where Captain Cortex is scared by a little dog and then um, memory and imagination have to talk and say, oh, you're just imagining that this was a big, scary dog. Memory remembers that this is actually a friendly dog instead of just a, a passing joke in the creating Command version. But um, he makes his way to school with seconds to spare. Um,
5: I, I love the fact that he's late for the school bus and he's literally 35 seconds away from the school. If he just cuts through a, a backyard, like the school is literally right there. He's late for the bus. Oh no, it's for him.
7: He gets there with seconds to spare. Um...
6: Okay, so we have the late Charles Grodin, who played the left brain. Morning, Captain. Left brain reporting for duty, sir. Logic circuit's working at full capacity. Let's have a safe and sane day, shall we?
3: Roger, left brain.
6: And the right brain, played by John Lovitz.
3: Right brain here, Buzz. Free association and creativity banks fully charged. Roger, dude.
6: Hans and Franz from Saturday Night Live, Kevin Nealon and Data Carvey playing the left ventricle and the right ventricle of the heart. Heart
3: reporting, Captain. Left ventricle. Right ventricle.
6: We are off off. (laughs) and pumping. We have the adrenal gland as Bobcat Goldthwait.
3: Adrenal glands reporting, Captain. Ready to freak out at any second. Not now, please.
6: We have the stomach as... Name just escaped me. Someone Jeff bail me Duchette. out here. George. George, w- George yeah, George. Wend. George. Wend. George. Wend. Wend.
3: Oh. <laughs> Stomach reporting, Captain. Running on empty down here.
5: Suppose we could toss down some of those cold pizza crust from last night. Keep us, you know. Yeah, because you have the you have the lungs that show up very briefly, and then whoever was the bathroom, like the bladder. Just the-
7: Duchette. Duchette. Okay. Um, The only reason the lungs even appear is because the lungs appeared in Colossal Pictures, Cranium Command, and they had them on the marquee. So they were like, we (laughs) have to put something here. (laughs) Like, There's a spot for the lungs. And that's the only reason why they're even in that one scene. Um, But um,
4: probably briefly talk about each of the celebrities or the roles that they played. Charles Grodin was uh, certainly in the seventies and eighties was, uh, you know, Reliable box office character actor who was great at deadpan, so he was perfectly cast as that straight laced. I mean, that's the role he played in. I, 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 he's in the Incredible Shrinking Woman, which if people follow me on Twitter know, I absolutely love the nineteen seventy eight. I think Lily Tomlin, Incredible Shrinking Woman, where he's her husband. Around the same time, he did a movie with uh, Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase called Seems Like Old Times. Uh, where he's the straight-laced district attorney running for governor, and you know there's zany things happening around. That's always been his uh, his kind of shtick. Uh, later in life, he, I think he may be the only character actor in there that has passed away since uh, since Cranium Command came out. I think they're all still alive, otherwise. But uh, he passed away a few years ago, uh, and later in what life, was, he hit- what was the movie? Was it Midnight Run? Oh Midnight Run with Robert De Niro is one oh my of the God. all-time greats. Uh he did that that year. He did he actually did um uh Taking Care of Business with Dana Carvey. Uh two two of the characters uh two of the actors from uh Cranium Command acted together in the year I think it was the year before. I think that movie came out in 1988. So uh, but great great movies i love i mean i'm a huge charles groden fan so and, and,
5: I'm, and i'm gonna guess the younger generation probably knows him from the beethoven movies as yes the dad
4: he was in the beethoven movies uh and in a, there was a he then he gave up acting and he did a talk show on msnbc for seven or eight years in the vein of like a dick cavett uh, very low-key uh just nightly talking about the news and politics and having different guests on and so he had kind of a second career where he decided for like seven or eight years he'd host a Larry King style nightly talk talk show I remember very... him
7: from the Great Muppet Caper
4: yes yes he was in the Great Muppet I mean there was just like I said he's there's a there's a span of about 20 25 years of just terrific terrific Charles Grodin film. So if you're not familiar go out there
5: and yeah. um and we loved him someone. as the security guard in The Muppets uh The Muppets Go to Walt Disney World.
4: <laughs> yes, he did do an appearance in The Muppets Go to Walt Disney World. Um Hans and Franz, Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon reprising their characters from Saturday Night Live huge at that time i mean that 88 89 90 period uh, hans and franz were uh one of the recurring skits that people look forward to all the time uh basically a takeoff of arnold schwarzenegger Uh, both of them uh were supposed to be these uh euro bodybuilder types uh who would be little uh weak weak people and
6: uh, so they were they were perfect there. Additional Cranium Command trivia on the topic of Dana Carvey is his muscle suit from Cranium Command was gifted to the show director, Jerry Rees, who still owns it and still brings it out to use as a Halloween costume sometimes.
4: <laughs> well, it's good to know some of those props survive beyond uh, the black market. Uh, George went, Cheers was in its run then Cheers was on from 82 to 93 on NBC. Uh, and it was one of the top shows on I think it might have been the top comedy on television at the time. Uh, so it, you know that was a natural casting because Norm was the the uh, bar fly who was you know there on, at his stool every week on Cheers. Uh, never went home was always at the bar. Uh, so he would be your guy down there in the stomach. And uh, who else did we say was there, celebrity wise? Oh, Bobcat Goldthwaite. Oh, Bobcat Goldthwaite again. Perfectly cast. Perfectly cast for Mayhem, you know, and for that. Ah!
6: Ready you know. to freak out at any second.
4: <laughs> yes. That was always his uh, shtick his on stage. And in uh, the Police Academy films, right? He was in a couple of the Police Academy mm-hmm. films. And a terrific, terrific, terrific movie that people forget about called One Crazy Summer from 1985 with John Cusack, where John Cusack is an animator who uh, does little cartoons. And it's about the summer that they spend on, I don't know, Nantucket or Cape Cod. or, And it is, as the title indicates, One Crazy Summer, one of those zany 1980s comedies.
0: You remember, Brian, and how we were out in California, and the gentleman who filmed the Rolly interview was friends with the animator of that.
4: Of oh, One Crazy Summer. One crazy I do summer. Remember and I got
0: in touch with him, and I actually have in my possession for my right, wife. I you have bought some,
4: one of the cells. I
0: have a cell and an original drawing from the movie, which is really cool. And then we, when we got it, we put it up on the screen and, and paused. It. it was really cool. <laughs>
4: And we we don't know about the bit players and the other things. They weren't that famous, right?
5: <laughs> I don't, oh, uh, so Bobcat, uh, the, your one Disney connection for Bobcat Goldthwait was Hercules.
7: Yes. Because
5: he was he pain or panic? I can't. I can't keep him straight.
7: Someone think, is going to listen to this and be like, "Oh, how stupid of you!" Obviously, yeah, I can't
5: like, believe you <laughs> did that. I want to say he was panic because then uh, Matt Fuhr was the other one, uh, um, the guy that played. Uh, was in honey i shrunk the kids as the next door neighbor who was also max headroom he was the other guy in her uh, head but there's also there's an infamous bobcat gold movie called shakes the clown which i will not not <laughs> describe just say like go go find it and watch it
4: sometime that's the one with julie brown in it yeah i believe so yeah 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 enough of the bobcat goldthwaite film filmography here uh <laughs> Let's were any of the other actors that like the principal or the teacher or the his mom, any of them of any note or were they just bit parts? I mean,
7: they were just bit parts. Um, Scott Curtis himself is very sweet. If you listen to this, Mm -hmm. I love you, Scott Curtis. Um, He was very, very excited that people cared about Buzzy in twenty. 2019, he reached yeah. out to everyone. He went on to become a realtor, which so did Annie's actress. Both of them became realtors, oddly enough. But um, he was just, oh, so thrilled that people still remembered who Buzzy was. He went to Epcot recently to be reunited and was very disappointed <laughs> at oh,
6: the current no. state of it. Um, on a half shameless plug here, uh, if you're interested in hearing more about Scott Curtis, Several years ago, I did an interview with him that's up on my YouTube page. I need to mirror it to the wondrous YouTube at some point. I am about afraid to rewatch it because I feel like my voice is probably squeakier. I was a lot younger, but people seem to like it. I think there was some fun information shared there.
4: If well, you there's, are
6: digging down the rabbit hole,
4: there's pre show Dreamfinder guy and then attraction Dreamfinder guy. There you go. The
7: Many people have wanted to point out that he he does look like Buzzy too. Like the the animatronic. He
4: just has to get the glasses. That's it. He's got to get round glasses.
7: And you can't tell that he's also very small. So he's a Um, bite-sized.
4: We should do uh, a mid-show here, a shameless plug, because we mentioned the wonders of life archive. So you have a Twitter feed called Wonders of Life Archive, uh, W-O-L yes. underscore archive, or is it just archive? No underscore. Just no underscore. So uh, you do have plans to put all this in one place at some point, right? We're yes, working on we, it.
7: We're working on a website. It's just me and him. And we do this out of the love in our heart. But um, what we currently have is a very, very huge archive of Top to bottom, photos, concept art, source audio and video, press kits, magazine and book coverage, uh, internal documents such as operation manuals, training materials, merchandise, blueprints, schematics, anything that has ever had Wonders of Life's name on it, we want to see it. You at home, if you have anything, please. We would love to see or hear, even if it's just your memories.
4: Every time I come across something or get something uh, that we get in a in an auction block or somebody sends to us, I send it over to Bunny, and she's like, "No, got it." You
1: know, (laughs) we just love. That's
4: not true. I was actually able to send her some pre a press packet, an early press packet that had some stuff in it that she did not have. So I was, we were, we're happy about that. We don't even have a place yet to to display all that stuff. That's in the
6: offing so it's There's actually kind evil. of a funny story there because we had disney's press kit on wonders alive but what you sent us was metlife's press kit right. on it which they were two completely different things so now mm-hmm. they are united as one in our digital archive that will someday be out there for everybody to access but in the meantime if anybody wants to see anything specific we are an open archive send us a message we will send you whatever we have. We are we more will than talk happy to, to talk it. to people. Yes. <laughs> like I
7: said, this is my favorite thing in the world. Um, I also, something that I love is just listening to people's memories of wonders of life. I didn't get to experience. So I want to know, what did it smell like? What did you feel when you were there? Were you happy? Were, did you feel a certain way? Um, what are your memories of it? I just, I love to hear that. I love to hear everything about it. I know it smelled like mildew. I know someone's about to tell me that, but
4: <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm trying to think of a, I mean, the the only theater that comes to mind right now, correct me, but I mean, the theater that immediately comes to mind is the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor in terms of that setup where you're, you know, it's a crescent shaped room where everybody's kind of looking at, at in front, you know, but you would add in animatronics and a much more elaborate stage than you have there. I'm trying to think if there's anything else comparable.
7: Everyone um, tells me an old mall.
4: Yeah. Well, the whole the whole pavilion had that 90s, early 90s, late 80s mall food court um, feel to it. Uh, right. I mean, I, I think, JT, I think it. we said that in the last episode, it's just it's screen, the colors and the
2: yeah. The, totally and it had the the street lamps in it that were weird and the yeah it just was a, a it just felt very mall like and it, also a science center like on the outside type thing could, with interactive stuff
4: cuz what happened is all of the malls built in the late 60s to the early 80s got these makeovers around the time of somewhere in the late 80s to early to mid 90s and so the pavilion very much has the feel. I mean, had to be very. It was. I I know we talked about this in the general episode, uh, previously. It was a stark contrast to walking into any other Epcot Future World pavilion in terms of the openness of it and the feel of it. It's
7: um, it's a weird combination of like circus and health. Like it's 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 so weird. Yeah. I love it.
6: I've had it described to me by someone before. And I would love to shout them out here, but I, I don't know if they want their real name said. So I will say uh, it's at Crazy Eight Wizard, I think is their mm-hmm. hat.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. They
6: described it to me as the ultimate liminal space, especially in its later years. Because, like, you have that dead mall aesthetic with the main pavilion, and then you have that whole, like, abandoned medical facility vibe over at Body Wars, and <laughs> it- then just. There was so much going on there. Totally tracks with, uh, it followed the malls. Actually, I think it was uh, at system underscore 71. uh, Brian Miles, you know them. Yeah, Uh, Reese, that's our friend Reese. Yes, I think it was them who said that. It may have been both of them.
7: Oh, I was just going to say that Wonders of Life really appeals to like Gen Z kids. Um, We run a, a Wonders of Life Discord and it's all like kids which I love that they love it and I I get really upset when people on Twitter will be like oh you can't be a fan of it you never experienced it like how cool that someone enjoys this old thing like I love that it really appeals to that like aesthetic of creepy abandoned place that also is cool <laughs> well
2: it's it's still there too kind of you see it but you, you can't it's it, skeleton it, yeah you can't. you can't get it you never went in during uh food and wine or any no. of those i've really? never been
7: in the building yes i've huh. never even been in the building i would do anything at this point i don't care if i walk in and the building is full of soup i'll grab a spoon i don't care i just want to <laughs> be in the building i'd so love to bad. see it right now Campbell's,
4: be- the Campbell soup pavilion i like it
7: it's because I, the the Play Pavilion logo looks like a macaroni. It's the Soup Pavilion.
5: Right. I always hate when people disparage people that didn't get to enjoy things. Because I know I've, I've looked back at pictures from the 1964 World's Fair or the 1932 World's Fair or any World's Fair. Or, Montreal or, Dis- or, or
4: Disneyland before right. you got there in the
5: 90s. Like, And you're I like, mean, well, that looks cool. I would have liked to have seen that. It's like I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, that's the same exact thing as when, you know. Gen Xer here looks at 1955 Disneyland. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that would have been like. There's no way I I never would have experienced that in a million years. Like, that's okay. Space station XL1 or whatever.
4: (laughs) Sure, that would be cool to walk into. Why not? I'm going to bring us back to the attraction here. So when we left off, uh,
7: we were talking about our, the ride. He
4: was about to walk into his classroom. He was, he had cut through some backyards and was getting to school.
2: Balling. You have exactly two seconds to get to class. Cut
1: to the right. Turn. Oh, dizzy,
6: dizzy. Okay, my little monsters, let's create. Just got into his chemistry class where he sat down and was late and found that he got paired with his lab partner, Annie. Excuse me. Looks like we're going to be lab partners. Yes!
3: Party, party, Captain. We have just skipped the beat. Yeah, what is going on up there?
7: She's beautiful. Who is the new girl, who is it's beautiful. No, Annie. Dreamy. She's dreamy. Yes. Um, we see a like a weird headshot of her that's like very clearly an official headshot of the actress <laughs> yeah. as the buzzy animatronic like swoons over it yeah. and all of the, the body heart spotlights on yeah.
6: the stage
3: just imagine make,
1: make, make
7: my all of the body parts start talking about how beautiful she is. Look I at feel how, like an
6: unstable compound Whatever, whenever we look at her.
7: Uh-huh. Look at the way she
6: glistens in the, the fluorescent tube, tube lighting. lighting.
4: <laughs> that was a great line.
7: <laughs> Which um, he then, of course, gets so distracted by it that it the chemistry blows up um he introduces I, himself
4: yes yeah, so that's beautiful he introduces his when she asks him his name he says my name is beautiful
7: <laughs> bobby. it's a little strange to watch as an adult to see the like adult snl characters all be like oh this beautiful 12 year old girl but whatever uh suspension of disbelief they're all parts of bobby's body so they're thinking as bobby um and he introduces himself to annie and
4: his science experiment blows up and then i didn't a, get to see the show yeah,
7: he's saved by the bell until yeah, a, jerry reese showed it to there's us. a
5: great cover with the smoke that allows him to do the transition from the one scene
4: into going into lunch so yes because it all
7: had to be point of view jerry's yeah. did a very good job with that
4: and we just hope that he's gotten to use the bathroom at some time
6: between when he woke up and lunch so we go into the lunch room finally and finally, the stomach will get to eat, toss some food down in the old dumpster.
3: Said our captain, I'd be willing to call it even if we could just toss a little bit of food in the old dumpster. What do you say? Okay, stomach, this time we'll eat.
6: But he runs into Tad and Rico, who are the bullies in the cafeteria giving Annie a hard time. So he decides he's going to be Mr. Big Shot and confront them. And the of course, left brain and
7: right brain are arguing over it and are like, tell him about tell the bullies how this is going to affect their academic standing and the, <laughs> like that that sort of thing and then you know adrenal gland is freaking out about it um the right brain is like oh do you swoop in and just save her Uh, eventually he decides to go up to them and be like gentlemen do you understand the repercussions of this on your academic standing and they just beat the crap out of it
6: the left brain's advice was not so great but it's the one he took
7: yes you've got
1: to
3: give me a chance for revenge okay right brain go
7: And a food fight starts, which has anyone ever experienced a food fight? Or is that you just know, something was, that happened? I in was movies? gonna <laughs> ask
4: the same question. because uh, <laughs> they happen all the time in movies, and I don't ever remember experiencing one in school.
2: There was one allegedly at my middle school, which during a different lunch period, and uh it, it as you would expect, a middle school lunchroom, the rumor with like you know yeah this one teacher he had a kid in a headlock, and you know, it was like this whole thing. and like, I mean, I think a couple things got thrown, but it wasn't like, you know, animal house or anything like this, right.
7: It becomes very funny because it like you see the crosshairs as Bobby is looking to toss in the um
2: even it uh, you know, when you see these viral videos of a McDonald's like a skirmish, it never results in a food fight with the whole restaurant or it I it, I, I mean, I know people. It's
5: gotta be very difficult to do that effectively because people are not great throws. I mean, unless you're <laughs> you're very
4: practiced, you're gonna miss it's a bunch like, of you know. kids
1: though. <laughs>
4: I, I gotta tell you though. When I'm sitting there having lunch, like I want to eat. I don't want to throw my food. I want to eat it. I gotta go back to class in 15 minutes. Now bear
2: in mind it is cafeteria food. So you know, most times it's it's not that good. So you're not losing a lot. As
4: as we've discussed.
2: Anyway, well, I think
5: what we need I think we know what we need to do at the next retro magic event. We need to have a food fight at
6: lunch. (laughs) Throwing sandwiches at people.
7: Oh no. God, that could poke someone in the eye, like take their eye clean (laughs) out like a missile.
6: (laughs) So how did you lose your eye? well Metro the bread going hit it
4: <laughs> howard bowers take yourself right to the principal's office because of that <laughs> suggestion
7: he stops and i believe he has food in his face and it like drops dramatically and he sees oh, it's someone from the school i think it's the the secretary takes him to the principal office and that's another that's, good
2: transition
7: at this point general knowledge comes in and is like what the
3: devil is going on froggy your job is to protect this body from unnecessary
7: stress not send it into a coma what are you doing (laughs) just screams at Bobby or at Buzzy and tells him like you have to get this under control you can't just do whatever thought comes into your head the main idea of Cranium Command is that stress affects your body whether you want it to or not um, whether you are imagining something is going on or something is actually going on
4: and that is such a real thing that connects to, as you get older, you know, you, you, first yes. time I watched it, I was a teenager, but as you get older, uh, you know, we're all at varying stages of aging, uh, the us four guys. And we do talk about medical anxiety and things like that. As you get older, you start to imagine things are wrong with you that you you know, ultimately need a doctor or somebody to say, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like we've done all these tests and everything's fine. Uh, and at different points in life, uh, different things become imagined, you know, when you're a younger person, it's sometimes it's relationships, it's career stuff before that's settled. It's, you know, any of those things you, you can drive yourself into a frenzy from imagined stuff. And this attraction really drives that home so well
7: real stress or imagined stress it doesn't matter beans to your body crew they can't Um,
6: tell the difference
7: they can't tell the difference it doesn't matter if you're just thinking something bad is happening or if something bad is actually happening this is funny because I recently was in therapy and my therapist talking about how stressed out I was about my life and my therapist was like isn't that thing you're obsessed with about stress management (laughs) and I was like oh, you're right. And then we sat down and talked about what is the real stress in my life? What is the imagined stress in my life? So look at Cranium Command helping someone 30 years later. (laughs) Um, So that was one of the things MetLife wanted to do was talk about how stress affects like metabolic functions, how it uh, slows down your digestion. That was a lot more obvious in the Colossal Pictures Cranium Command version where uh, Captain Cortex like sees the stomach just sitting around and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't have enough blood to digest anything because you're so stressed out. Turn and look into the camera. This is what happens when you are very stressed out. Eyes close. <laughs> so they have the food fight. Um, Bobby gets taken to the principal's office. And this is when all the organs have their big freak out, start yelling at each other. The left brain is like, Okay, you've ruined our chances at getting into a good college. Look what you did! The right brain is thinking they're—he um, does the—they're going to take us to the salt mines, yeah. the big house, maybe even prison. Um, the stomachs says that he's getting too backed up. He's going to have to start sending some stuff back up.
6: Seal all um, exits. Seal all
7: exits. Yes. And, and general um,
6: knowledge cuts in.
7: Gerald knowledge comes in and screams at him and is like, what are you doing? The heart, of course, is going crazy. Um, I might as well
6: say goodbye now, sir. They're going to burn us at the stake and send our ashes to Siberia.
7: How dare you take my favorite line from Premium Command and say <laughs> it. I just wanted to podcast. make sure it was
6: said because <laughs> I was afraid favorite. you would miss it
7: no Buzzy (laughs) says they're gonna burn us at the stake and send our ashes to Siberia um and of course the adrenal gland shows up and just screams he doesn't even say anything he's just screaming my my Um,
4: favorite was the hearts saying if this was 30 years later we would be attacking you yes (laughs) Uh, there's nothing like a great heart attack joke in the middle of the attraction
7: (laughs) um general knowledge tells him that he has to be you're just
3: worrying yourself sick Real stress or imagined stress, it doesn't matter. Beans to your body crew. They can't tell the difference. Only you can. Take charge, lunkhead. Be calm, cool, collected, serene, balanced, centered, and relaxed like me.
7: And so Buzzy says, okay, we have to get it together. I need to use my head, not lose my head. And um, he gets the, he asks the left brain for like, what is the bottom line? What is actually going on? And ask the right brain like what should I do um, to explain to the principal why you did this and he comes up with we're going to tell the truth. And do an emotional appeal, and so he tells the principal I just did this because those guys were bothering Annie, and i'm really sorry about it, and the principal decides. OK, maybe if you just clean up, we won't get you in trouble. Um, and so there's the whole thing with the imagined stress was imagining what was going to happen to him. The real stress was what was actually going on. Um, they have the doesn't matter beans to your body crew. And then they have the animation of the beans on the scale. Uh, but they, he wipes his eyes and he shuffles his feet. And then he decides to tell the principal that. The principal's like, OK, you can just clean up. He's good. He goes out into the hallway and runs into Annie.
4: Were any of you ever sent to the principal's office for a bad reason? And if it was more than once, do you remember like the last age you were? Like what grade or when it was that that happened to you? I'll tell mine first. The last time I can, it happened more than once in in 12 years. But uh, the last time I remember was in 10th ninth tenth grade something like that uh i was walking through the lobby with ricky miller who was ricky was about half my size because i'm a big dude and he burped really loud and i gave him a playful shove and he fell over into like these chairs and like bruised his ribs and got really hurt and i felt terrible about it but ricky's dad was a biker (laughs) <laughs> and so Ricky, Ricky's dad called the school and like wanted to talk to the principal. And so Ricky and I got called in and like I I did the emotional appeal. Like, look, this is my friend. I didn't like mean to hurt him. And uh his dad was really cool about it. Uh and we ended up, I I don't, I don't even remember. I might have gotten a detention or something out of it, but
7: that sounds like that an was, 80s sitcom episode. Yeah,
4: that was my last, that was my last visit to the uh to the principal's office for any reason. How you had to have gotten sent to the principal's office at least uh, once. I got sent
5: my last trip to the principal's office. I think it was my senior year in high school. Uh, I had a teacher who fortunately I cannot remember his name because if I could if I could remember it, I would absolutely put it out there. Uh, <laughs> I remember it was our social studies class and I got sent to the office for insubordination. Because uh, I I think there were three or four of us that uh, we just could not stand the man, and we were supposed to. It was supposed to be an advanced history class, and he was giving us ditto sheets and things, and we just we just couldn't tolerate it. And so I remember I I had to write a twelve hundred word essay or something about respect. And so I wrote this long essay about how respect isn't something that's automatically granted. Respect is something that's earned. Oh. And I'm sure that made him even more livid because he demanded that we respect him because of, of his position and who he was. And I actually, I had him, if I remember correctly, I had him in junior high school as a teacher and liked him just fine. But like, the tr- he just didn't make the transition to high school at, at that level of class that he was supposed to be teaching and so i ended up transferring out of the class into another teacher who became one of my favorite teachers uh and took a, I transferred into ap history and like it was fantastic so but yeah i i stuck
4: it out right into 12th grade i saw jt nodding when i asked the question
2: my my if i can recall right it was only once and i was in second grade i was chasing a kid around the playground we were playing tag he took off got away distance away I came upon him he had fallen off the mulch pit onto the blacktop face was bloodied tooth was knocked out I was accused of pushing him even though I was nowhere near him so they have me in the office going look what you did to this poor child I'm like I wasn't even near him and they you know they're grilling me and I was like I really wasn't I don't know And then uh, the only reason I got off the hook is because they were looking for his tooth on the playground and they realized our stories didn't line up like where I tagged him versus where he fell. I got let off scot-free rightfully so. But I remember (laughs) being like, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't do this. It was, it was quite nerve wracking being grilled for something you didn't do.
4: Are we taking bets on whether Todd ever actually got sent to the principal's office?
2: Uh, I'm going to say yes. I think I'm thinking,
4: uh, I'm thinking he paid someone
5: off prior to getting there.
0: <laughs> no, let's see. Uh well, I, I got really in trouble for throwing up money from a, a fake money from a game. I think it was uh, first grade. I threw it up in the air and yelled, "I'm rich, I'm rich." <laughs> I I I can't re- I don't think I went to the principals office. I did I did however I got a um, wait a point system, you know when you get too many points. Sure would be suspended the merits yeah yeah i i got a point guys i hate to tell you i was okay. i was i was tardy five times a semester just late driving to school so did,
2: sorry did there, it, there's
0: not a lot to go on did i do have it.
2: one one interesting story related to this uh and i didn't go to the principal's office i should have and for show and tell I took my fort wilderness double barrel musket uh handgun in for show and tell <laughs> you and I, it didn't do anything and nobody I didn't get in trouble but I remember the teacher I was showing her and she held her hands up like no don't point that at me and I go it's not real it's a toy it was, uh, oh. tell
7: your age without telling your age yeah.
4: <laughs> we could we could do an entire show on things that I never got sent to the principal's office for but should have but We're not going to do that one. How about either of our guests? Would you care to Unburden yourselves with a visit to the principal's office? or
7: Oh yeah, I was a principal's office frequent flyer in middle school and (laughs) high school because I was a goth kid and I had very, very frequent um, dress code violations um, because I would have um, spikes on everything and I would have big straps hanging off my pants and chains and I looked like this was after Columbine so it was like, oh no, you're putting people on edge by being so goth. And so I, I had to have several talks where they would sit down and be like, you're making everyone nervous with your self-expression. But I just wanted to be cool. So no, I got, I got ISS at one point where they stick you in a little cold trailer and have you like copy down. I will not wear spikes on my clothes, just cool type thing.
4: Yeah, I got in school suspension once, but I don't remember what it's for anymore. It's a long time ago.
6: My last visit to the principal's office that I can remember came at the very end of my eighth grade year. I It was literally like two or three days left of the whole school year. Um, I was in our language arts classroom where we weren't doing anything. We were just sitting there because the teacher had given up. It was the end of the year. So I can sympathize (laughs) with JT here for being accused of something that never happened. Um, We had a small little computer section in one corner of the room, and I was on the exact opposite corner of the room. And we had a little security camera in there, so you could tell I was on the complete opposite side of the room. But this this weird girl on the computer section of the room decides it's a good idea to spend the end of the year looking up um, explicit imagery on the computers and bypassing their like blocks. And so she got caught and called out and she got sent to the principal's office. And when she got there, she said, none other than, Oh, Dreamfinder guy uh, encouraged me. He told me to do it. And so I got called down there and I'm like, what the what the hell are you talking about i was literally on the i could not be further away from her in that classroom but the principal was like interrogating me and was like you better not lie i have multiple people saying that you did this i have witness testimonies and <laughs> i just kind of like i don't think i laughed at her because i was too professional but i was just uh like oh, okay um Pull the tape. Look at the security camera. I I I didn't do anything, but he was sure. Go off. You were listening to your inner Charles Grodin there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, nothing ever came of it because uh, I never got called back after that, and I started high school and was never never heard about it again. So I imagine they just gave up on that or realized that I was correct. I don't even think the girl got in trouble for it because it was the end of the year. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. But for me, they were like, this is serious expulsion level. And I'm like, I, I didn't do anything, but Maybe
7: sure. In prison.
4: <laughs> well, we en- we encourage all of you listening out there to email us your best sent to the principal's office story at podcast at retro But now we're going to go back to the attraction because he's getting out of the principal's office uh, virtually scot-free
7: yes, and he sees Annie there and they have their their cute moment where Hi Bobby <sighs> Look,
3: um, I just wanted to thank you for helping me out with those guys who were hassling me. No sweat No sweat. They were like pretty neat <sighs> He likes us. Captain we are having a sudden burst of energy Yeah, we are feeling young at heart Hey eh? Who ordered the butterflies? Man, she's cute. Just look at the way her eyes glisten in that fluorescent tube lighting. Well, let's not start daydreaming again. Let's do something constructive.
7: They decide, he talks to left brain, right brain, and decides that he is going to ask her out now that he has made such a big show of coming in and saving her during the food fight. And so he says, do you want to go out sometime, maybe to the mall or something? Because you know, it was 1989. And um, (laughs) she says yes and kisses him on the cheek. And that is when we have our big explosion of all of the, the fog coming in and the lights and super loud.
1: Maybe we could go out
3: sometime after school, like maybe to the mall or something. Okay, that'd be great. Thanks again, Bobby. Outstanding recruits! Look after your body crew and they'll serve you well. Congratulations! You are now a full-fledged member of the Cranium Command!
7: that is the end of Cranium Command. Buzzy turns around and gives us the speech of remember gang when you get stressed out just call on your General Knowledge. General Knowledge appears and says that he's proud of him which is a big deal because General Knowledge has spent the entire ride telling or the entire attraction calling him fuzzy and drunky and scuzzy and (laughs) all of that and he finally calls him Buzzy and says that he's proud of him. Um, And then he tells the chicken which he has there that he's going to have to find another pilot and the chicken says I'm going to go into politics, which is still relevant. Hey, I don't know. Um, I'm
6: going into politics.
7: Yes. So, um, let's hear it for Captain Buzzy! Hip, hip, hooray!
3: So remember, gang, if you get stressed out, just call in your general knowledge, balance your body
1: crew, and get your cranium under command. Use your head, don't lose your head. It's easy.
7: You'll be flying in no time. As a member of the Cranium Command! Bye! hypothalamus has some interesting commentary as people are walking out
5: so when he there's a scene this section where he views himself in the reflection of the trophy case oh yeah and he does does he do the like one-handed like (laughs) arm up yay i think he does it is so Incre- it's so incredibly like awkward, but also I understand like that expresses you know the excitement. It's so
7: '80s. It's like a freeze frame. It like-
5: it's like a Toyota commercial. Yeah, it's the, well, it's
4: think- the, and it's the end of um, Breakfast Club. You
6: know? Yes, oh, you're, That's right. what I was mean going to say so,
5: that.
4: Yeah, Breakfast Club ends with, and uh, I think it actually
5: freezes on that too. Yes, it yeah, it
6: does. does. Judd Nelson walking away. And, it is uh, just like the end of Breakfast Club.
3: On behalf of the Cranium Commandos and the Walt Disney Company. Thank you for volunteering for Cranium Command. Please gather your belongings and exit the command center through the doors on your left. Madam, you forgot your child. Oh,
0: that's your husband. I'm very sorry. I mean that.
2: Have a wonderful day.
7: So that is the end of Cranium command. Um it then you exit out to a bunch of payphones if you want to call someone and tell them about the cool attraction that They're you like, just saw.
5: Guys, you get you got to do this. You got to you got to listen to your body. Use your head to there's all these things I just learned that are so
7: important. Um, in the Colossal Pictures version, it's don't lose your head, use your head, which is just way more awkward. <laughs> but um, they changed it around for that. And the Colossal Pictures version ends with a dance party, like a like a kids movie in the 2000s. Everyone just starts dancing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance.
1: <laughs>
4: just
7: golly. And so Cranium Command proceeded to be there for until wonders of life closed in 2007 and we all know what happened then
0: it's about something getting stolen right something like that. yes well first, um, first it sat there for
4: like
7: it sat there oh, for like for anything forever. else though
0: like it, it's it just amazes me that we aren't going to pay any maintenance on it we're yes. gonna let it sit we could be paying less money to the people to run the attraction and actually take you know what i mean like like kill it when it needs to be killed don't kill it for the sake of just closing something very odd
7: just one thing i do want to note and then this is going to play into the buzzy theft later and the reporting is that the buzzy animatronic um went through many cosmetic changes throughout the time of it being there um his his molded rubber hands the captain cortex animatronic had gloves uh buzzy had the rolled rubber. The, Molded rubber hands, and uh, they found that the animatronics kept wearing through Buzzy's hands, so he had like Terminator hands. So they had to replace them with brown fabric gloves that were lined. Um, that they changed in 1992, I think. Also, yes. strangely, um, his he had very big glasses at first, so they made them smaller because the glasses were too unstable, and they gave him eyelashes for some reason in 1993. I think he got his eyelashes, lashes like, were
4: in in '93.
7: um the only thing i can think of is maybe it made it easier to see his eyelid movement because as i mentioned before the buzzy animatronic had so many problems with his his one really lazy eye through his whole lifespan um they also had to change his jacket because the molded rubber hands only went so high and then they had to give him like sherpa cuffs on the jacket but um Yeah, it closed and then it proceeded to sit there as people came in and started picking parts off of him. Um, In 2012, it was during, was that the 35th or the 30th?
6: We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Sorry,
7: continue then. (laughs) Go ahead, babe.
6: So Cranium Command sat there after the 2007 seasonal closure because they didn't know what to do with it. It was not, and this is our definitive we're closing at moment. It would just close for its seasonal run. And then operations had the great idea to be like, let's use this pavilion for festival space. And even then, it was not decided that, oh, let's do this again another time. There was still not like defined Wonders of Life would be permanently closed. So it took until 2009 for the final call for them to be like, yeah, we're not gonna open this again. So they went in there and they started picking stuff apart. They took any valuable show equipment that could be recycled or resold or sent to some storage warehouse, stuff like show control units that could be used at different attractions and projectors and stuff like that. Anything that was worth salvaging was picked out of it. And it was at this time that the building had its last structural inspection and they found that the roof was not stable at all. If you look at like old Google Earth aerials and stuff, they replaced that roof over and over and over again. And it became, they realized it was a fire hazard to run the work lights while the roof leaked because the water could end up in contact with those hot wires and then cause an electrical fire. So... They were mandated to cut the work lights. And that's why whenever you see like other pictures or videos, it's super dark in there because they weren't able to turn those work lights on. They had to run with show lighting. And that's why they had like a big spotlight, everything, and like set up individual lights just so that there would be lighting in there. And because it hadn't passed a structural inspection, they had to have signs on the doors being like, hey, don't come in here. We're not liable if you do even though it wasn't really that huge of a deal, it was just, they were trying to cover themselves. So it was at that point that it was definitively closed and they just left it sit. In 2012, on October 1st, on Epcot's 30th anniversary, someone went in there just after park close, it was was open for food and wine. They walked into Cranium Command and jumped up onto the stage and grabbed Buzzy's gloves as a trophy, be like, hey, hey, I got something from the old Cranium Command, and it was kind of symbolic. Walked into it. Yes, for that to happen on Epcot's 30th, and just just after the park closed, and five years after Cranium Command had closed, and this ended up causing a misunderstanding later on from the police report when Buzzy's clothes were taken, which we will get to in a moment. That was they thought, oh, they took his rubber hands too, even because though his. You- his hands had been gone for so many years because they were switched out with those gloves originally due to maintenance concerns.
7: Because when you Google Epcot Buzzy, it's a picture of Buzzy from opening with his rubber hands. So when someone went in and stole Buzzy's gloves, um, they well, when they went in and they saw Buzzy, he just had his bare animatronic hands, which he only had like three fingers on one hand and then like two on the other. Um, they were like, oh my God, someone stole his hands. And that created just so much misinformation of people being like, they stole his hands? Um, but when when were the clothes stolen, Bib?
6: I believe in July of 2018, um, the jacket, the hat, and the headset The undershirt and like the boots, which were really difficult to remove, they stayed, but the jacket. So we were told. So we were told. So we were told. (laughs) We
7: don't know that from experience.
6: (laughs) According to the police report, they were sold to Robin Lopez, who, upon realizing they were stolen goods, returned them to the police, who returned them to Disney. So those clothes have been recovered. But that kind of spooked Disney when they went in there and saw, oh, somebody stole the whole outfit. The gloves are easy to miss because it's just like, oh, okay, uh, the gloves are missing. That's whatever. It's not really a noticeable thing. And even if you do, it's who cares
7: when the whole outfit. The police report mentions like the, I swear they just Googled Epcot Buzzy and they looked at the picture and they were like, Hmm, there's like a, there's a red light shining in the picture onto his brown jacket. And they were like one red jacket missing (laughs) super
0: sleuths are on the case.
7: I spend so many nights, like just watching footage of it, thinking that I'm going to see something out of the corner of my eye that I'm like, that's it. Like a detective in a movie, like I'm going to solve it. Continue, babe. Go ahead. But
6: anyway, after that, the animatronic sat there for a little while without the clothes. And it was just kind of wasn't naked. Yeah, it still had the green undershirt, but the jacket, the hat and the headset were gone. And it was just kind of sad him sitting there alone in the dark without his like top layer. And then I am told, I want to say in October of that year, um, somebody reaches out to me and gives me like a tip off the rumor mill It's like did you hear that the whole buzzy animatronic went missing and i was like oh uh i i find that hard to believe but thanks for the tip and then all of a sudden uh patrick spikes who i was talking to at the time uh he ends up getting like corralled by the police they show up at his house and they start searching for buzzy and they sent him a search warrant that says they were looking for stolen disney world animatronic and so he texts me and was like hey remember a couple months ago when we were told that buzzy got removed he was stolen and i was like yeah why was like well the police are here to talk to me about it and so he was like, hey, how about you blow this up on Twitter? And it was like Christmas Eve or something or like the day before Christmas Eve or something like that. So I make a post on Twitter. I erroneously refer to the Orange County Sheriff's Office as the Orange County Police Department and just throw out this post to be like, yeah, Buzzy is missing.
7: You were like 14, like, right?
6: Something like that. You're yeah, a little baby,
7: <laughs> little tiny and baby.
6: Suddenly the story slowly got picked up by other sources and it became this whole huge ordeal, and it's now that infamous story that I mean, it even made a couple like national headlines. And there's a documentary the, coming out. Yes, uh, it was like that time <laughs> that time an entire Disney World animatronic got stolen, and we have no leads ever since. We we don't have theories. We have nothing to prove anything.
7: We have a lot of to
6: information us. told to us, but it's nothing we can ever confirm it's just like yeah thanks for the tip um uh, sure he's uh he just just got dragged out the back of the building that uh sounds well, a little hard to believe there, but okay
4: there were a lot of conversations at the time i mean i read a lot of this stuff so let's let me add a little color to it because when the story started to break first there was a lot of disagreements over whether it had actually been stolen and until the police report was made available, which I think was like a week later or something like that, where they had actually, I, I, they detained Patrick Spikes. I don't remember if they arrested him. They eventually charged him with stealing some stuff, I think. Um, but the, that's when some of these details became more like official. And it it wasn't just like a rumor because there were no like pictures of the cutaway uh, animatronic or anything at the time circulating. Uh, but I remember theoretical discussions from people who were saying, well, that that piece had to weigh hundreds of pounds.
7: Buzzy was big. People don't take that into consideration. He was very big. Do you know that very the, heavy.
0: the actual dimensions? Like, was he...
7: I don't, I would kill to see the schematics for that animatronic. I would do nasty, nasty things to see it. You have no idea. (laughs) Like, um, I would love to know that about it. But I do have pictures of undisclosed people wearing pieces of the animatronic from which I can discern how large it is.
2: That's a step because we've got the guy in the scene here, Todd. We can uh base you know the height of the person wearing the outfit by chance, and then we can go from there. I do.
7: Yes, I do, unfortunately. Um we can
2: measure the jacket, then go to the animatronic. Todd and do this I have to
7: I have to have a finger in every buzzy pie I feel like Black Widow sometimes like talking to people like oh that's so interesting you did that what do you know about the animatronic (laughs) like um I yes I will have to send you that um but it's
4: the reason I raised the point was that like this was not just someone like just like hoisted it up and walked out the door like there had to be machinery involved I say, you
0: need like a crane or something something's gotta be or, or we he don't
6: was know.
2: broken like dropping him off the thing somehow like, yeah just,
7: well he was cut out um, Yeah, that's what his... i'm saying so
2: say you cut him you're up there and he weighs hundreds of pounds unless you're slowly hoisting him down, I mean, it had to be a push job, you know?
7: Yeah, there was a lift below Buzzy, a maintenance lift that people would use to fix him while he was in service. And um, it doesn't look to have been used uh, comparing pictures because we have the video of uh, Dear Matt Sanswa, who goes and just jumps under the stage at Cranium Command and looks at Buzzy and, you know, films himself doing it because yeah. he's a, a millennial. Um, but um And then we have the video of like after Buzzy was removed. So I spend so much time like watching these two side by side. Like, what am I going to see? Am I going to see something that's going to crack the case? Uh, People come to me in DFG all the time and are like, you guys know more than anything else, anyone else. What do you think happened? And we're like, we don't know. We honest to God don't know. It's so, the thing is we can sit here and theorize all day about it, but you still go back to the fact that it was taken out. And how? Um, I truly, there is a lot of controversy about it. I do not think Disney has it. I really, deep in my heart, I don't think Disney would let a false police report go on for five years about it and have people like actively from the police department looking for an animatronic if they just had it. I'm also, I've been in contact with people in the archives, they don't have him. Like, (laughs) there's no hide nor hair of Buzzy. (laughs)
6: I'd like to interject in here really quickly because I, like briefly mentioned earlier, that people come to us with quote-unquote tips. If any of our Disney or Orange County friends are listening in on this, uh, if we had anything that was worth passing on, we would definitely pass it on. It's when somebody says like, oh, Buzzy's left arm is sitting in an office in the utilidor, and it's like... It's, He's under yeah, the sure. Norway
7: pavilion.
6: <laughs> that I've was something intense. we
7: heard for a while. Yes. Was he was under the Norway pavilion. <laughs> like, d- and then people are like, someone put him in a stroller. Like, no this is like jimmy hoffa
0: all over again like the metal giant stadium yeah
7: and also people don't understand that buzzy could not be removed from his chair like the animatronic is in the chair he can't like all his tubing goes up his butt you can't just remove him from it uh so he was cut out in his chair wherever he is the whole thing is with him um so goodness gracious there's been so much misinformation because our associate Patrick Spikes loves drama and he posted a picture of a pull that was made to make Buzzy's face like a mold and people took off and were like oh my god Patrick Spikes decapitated Buzzy and posted his picture online (laughs) and DFG and I have just spent so long being like no this was just used to make his face I promise that's not what this is because it became such a hot topic to make YouTubes and TikToks and ooh look at this cool thing that happened this animatronic got stolen and it just it took off fast and me and DFG were like no that's not what happened I
4: mean so, it has brought new interest to the attraction Yeah me <laughs> a decade <laughs> after it closed I mean it was
7: For me um I love Buzzy and I want people to remember him as a sweet character that taught an important lesson and not some weird animatronic that got stolen So I just I feel like I'm not the kind of person that's like Cranium Command was the best attraction and if you don't like it then blah blah blah. I don't care. I don't care if you like Cranium Command or not. Me personally, I think it was important so I want other people to know about it. And I want people to know about it in a way that isn't sensationalized because it's sensational enough. The story itself is crazy enough without adding in like oh Patrick Spikes decapitated Buzzy. Just the because it it always goes back to the fact that it was taken. And Disney has no idea where it is. Like, there was no, they don't even have any leads. There's no footage of it, nothing. Just, and it, it, I remember speaking to a couple of people being like, they are never going to mention Cranium Command again because someone's going to know that someone made it out of Disney World with an entire animatronic and they have no idea who it was. <laughs> like, that is bad optics. That looks horrible from a PR standpoint.
0: It's just not going to be a D23 topic
7: no just i am fully prepared for them to never mention Cranium command again which again i would do anything for the pre-show in hd they've shown parts of it they showed part of it in a pete doctor interview and we have lived off those like two seconds of footage
0: <laughs> yeah there's not really any good copies of the of, of the uh you know the, the pre-show out of anything there. with it. yeah yeah there's a there's a, there's a lot. To be to be uh to be hunting for. So you never know. Films pop up on eBay. We get some weird things. So maybe someday it will pop up.
4: That's so why I the like ones that restore it.
0: <laughs> there were, I mean, there were physical copies of the
5: copies and copies and copies of that film somewhere yeah, that I mean, were I you know, know. back yeah. backups and backups me. at the attraction. So someday uh, something might show up. Disney something has it in the
6: knowing um there was a film reel back there that was abandoned when they were stripping away stuff. And I know it sat there for several years. It was like sitting in a five-gallon bucket. And I asked several people who I knew that were back there, I was like, hey, can you look at this for me, please? And I got a couple of responses. There was like, yeah, I saw that. It was just, uh, there was standing water in it. It looked like the print was damaged. And I was like, yeah, the print may be damaged, but there may be parts of it that aren't or something that could be salvageable. And I never even got to figure out what the heck it was. I imagine it's one of the eye screens, but it's just back then before all this stuff blew up, I was like, yeah, it sure would be nice if someone would go back there and like catalog the stuff that's sitting there. (laughs) And I was told that um, Disney went and rescued the prints that were in use when the attraction ended. And like made scans of those, and I was like, you would think they would have a master reel in their archives to scan from, but at the same time, they have no master recording for the universe of energy area loop. So anything's possible. Maybe they did need to take those reels from the attraction.
7: They have it because they've shown parts of it at D twenty (laughs) three. They showed the whole show at D twenty three. Well.
6: very extremely like take their archival their animated works seriously but the live action segments Disney, of a theme park attraction but there's, yes I mean, we know they have them
5: there's so many i mean there's so many steps between the originals and then interpositives and then prince off. i mean it's got some chunk of it how, get, get just place.
0: give me a decent 35 millimeter we can make it happen we did that
5: i That's just
7: Disney restored 70, it. Right? They restored it in the Pete doctor interview. It looks beautiful. Like it looks better than finding a cell of it. Um, but- I've
6: been told that uh, all of their animated works, they have gone back and done 4k master scans of even like just one-off shorts, like the Gradium command pre-show. So they have a full HD restored print of it sitting on a server somewhere.
5: I, just, I mean, if, uh... if they did magic journeys, they certainly, they certainly did that.
6: Man, every time I see a couple clips of Magic Journeys played at a D23 thing, I'm just like, when are they going to let us watch the whole thing? I know they did in like 2015, but yeah, I wasn't yes. in the yes, fandom man. yet, please. What was There's the year no where they showed the whole quality.
7: pre-show?
6: Uh,
4: I think it was, a, uh, it was either Attraction Rewind was 2016, right? Or the, was that the, the Amazing Adventures in Attraction Rewind? It was either 14 or 16. I, I think it was 14 that they ran Magic Journeys, but... Uh, I was—I know I was there. I mean, it was the first time I had seen it uh, on a screen. So,
6: in the Epcot 35th D23 event that they did in the Millennium Village building, this was actually where they debuted that Pete Doctor video that uh, Bunny is talking about. And I remember grabbing my camera, trying to take a bunch of pictures because. I didn't think they were going to release it online. I was like, this is big. They're showing clips of the pre-show. This is good quality. And of course, so, they did release it online, thankfully. But at that okay. same event, they showed a little clip of HD Magic Journeys. And I was like, wow, this is just the day that keeps on giving.
5: <laughs> didn't that uh, that clip end up as an extra on uh, Inside Out? I think there's an interview with Pete doctor on one of the it. blu-rays of yeah, I they, think for inside out where they talk about, Oh, he worked on this. And it was kind of the they had to, like, of
7: hold Pete doctor down and waterboard him to get him to admit he worked on cranium command because he was so hesitant to say yeah. that inside out was not like an original idea that he had. I know,
5: his freaking really. picture. Is it it though? He isn't he one of the heads? He yeah. is one of
7: the heads. Yeah. yeah. I just, Holy goodness, I've spoken to so many people that have worked, specifically on the pre-show too, uh, I've talked to Dave Frixma, I've talked to uh, Nick Greeney, um, Andres Deha, it just, everyone loved it and thinks of it so fondly. Even thinking back on it from 30 years ago, I recently talked to the guy who animated the screens at the bottom and he was willing to talk to me about how that was a very big turning point in his career doing something for Disney. Just anytime I reach out to someone, they're all very, very happy, unless I'm trying to talk to them about the buzzy animatronic. And then like, I don't know, I think Disney like took everyone aside and was like, don't you ever talk about that thing again? Because people get real nervous if I start asking them about the buzzy animatronic. (laughs) I I promise I don't have it. (laughs) I think
4: part of it too, is uh, it's like a foxhole experience. If you were part of what became the final attraction, um, because it was that compressed six weeks, we got six weeks to fix this. We're going to live, sleep, eat and breathe it for the next six weeks and, and get this thing up and running. And then it was a success that ended up running for 15 years, right. <laughs> Almost 20 years uh, that the attraction kept running. And, um, you tend to remember experiences like that more than stuff that just went normally and you spent two years on and finished it and moved on to the next thing. And when you experience something with that level of intensity, it tends to stick with you later in your career. As you look back on the stuff that you did and you remember those things better than the stuff that was like the run of the mill things that you did every day.
5: I think another thing that could be part of why, um, for the pre-show that animation was so important. You know, this this is 1989. Uh, you know, Roger Rabbit is huge and Disney did not animate that. They hired a completely different crew uh, in England that eventually those people would come in. I mean, when Jerry Reese did back to Neverland, that was not a Disney crew that animated that. And, and here they were producing animation that was better than what Disney was producing in doing uh you know mermaid was just starting to come out but like they were coming off of uh uh what's the the um cat one the um sorry dogs dogs and cats the um wasn't it like a shakes the shakespeare rescuers thing? down
6: under.
7: yeah they were doing rescuers down under
5: no i'm sorry um the billy joel one Oliver billy joel and, company. and- Oliver, they were coming off of Oliver and Company, which, you know, I'm sure they were not excited about that. And then Disney goes and hires out these other teams and they're doing Roger Rabbit and this stuff that is groundbreaking. And here's an opportunity for this little crew to do something to prove themselves that Disney like feature animation can, well, look, we can compete with those guys. We can we can do this. We can be as good as they are. And it was, that was a great that animation through that whole thing was great and yeah they did it as cheap as they could and as fast as they could but it was as you said it was so phenomenal it like it gave them the opportunity Trousdale and and uh, who's the other gentleman Gary uh, Trousdale. Kirkwise. and Oh
7: Kirkwise and Gary and Kirkwise
5: it gave them the opportunity to like become you know interim directors of beauty and the beast and then eventually become official directors of beauty and, the beast. and that was the beginning of the Disney renaissance yes. so i i mean really i i, I think um for for disney anime for really animated disney animation it's like it was a this was a keystone event it was something that helped them turn the key and prove the fact that like our team can do this we we were in a rough patch but like we are ready to move forward and and that did that started the second renaissance
7: and they did it under so much pressure too like six weeks
5: yeah and even from the storyboarding perspective and and doing all that stuff, it's like they really knocked it out of the park and showed like this team can get shit done.
7: It could have been very bad. I think about that sometimes. Like what if th- what if that had happened to Food Rocks? What if at some like last minute, someone would have been like, this is terrible, remake it. And we've got <laughs> like a totally different ride. Like what if we got Colossal Pictures Cranium Command? Would people be like, oh, hashtag find Captain Cortex. Would anyone care? Would it still be there? It's just like a so weird the buzzy theft itself feels like a nexus event i was gonna say the um the changing over from colossal pictures to disney was a nexus event but man the buzzy theft really threw a wrench into things too yeah and i am glad people are always like oh aren't you like really really upset that the animatronic is missing like don't you wish you could get the person who did it and it's like It's a double-edged sword because I learned about Cranium Command through this, Um, and so many other people have, and I've made so many friends. DFG is, the besides my husband, the most important man in my life, and I love him very dearly, and I wouldn't know him without Cranium Command connecting us. Um, I saw him being very sad on his 15th birthday, so I did a little doodle of Buzzy and Figment holding a cake for him, and... I watched his high school graduation on stream and (laughs) I've been with him through every major life event of the last four years. So it is very important to me in that regard. I love Wonders because there's absolutely no way any of that could happen today. You can't have a health or medical pavilion. You can't have a sex ed video at Disney World. Like it's such a specific time period. Um, Just everything about it from start to finish. The aesthetic, the content... I love it it's like a little time capsule and I love Wonders because it is it has come and gone I do not feel very sad about it being gone because nothing can ever change the fact that it existed nothing can ever change the attractions that were in there because they happened and they came and they went so I am glad that that happened I am at peace with it
4: alright Well on that note we'll, pe- we'll pick up there with uh, with Bunny's summary of the pavilion uh I can't, I don't think we can thank you both enough for taking everyone who listens and uh, on a walkthrough through Cranium Command, the mo- certainly the most iconic and lasting impression of an attraction there, even though it wasn't the most promoted attraction at the at pavilion's outset, I think it's the one people will remember the most now, far more than Body Wars, which was the one that they really promoted. More for the technology of the ride than the actual experience of the ride. Uh, so... Thank you to both of you. Before you leave, I know we talked about it a few times. Tell everybody listening where to find you on the web, both your archive and yourselves, your,
6: your social media accounts and whatnot. Well, I am at DreamFinderGuy on Twitter. That's pretty much the only platform I use. The Wonders page can be found at, at WOLArchive, and of course, the lovely Bunny
7: Wars is at uh, at buddy underscore wars and you do not have to follow me on twitter my twitter is very cringe all i do is i go on there and i post about how much i love buzzy and i draw stuff sometimes but I'm no the- follow the wonders page
5: yeah and i'm gonna say her drawings are fantastic she absolutely shows. an amazing artist and I, I mean now that you've had a chance to actually like get something dave it's like I, I think that you guys are not only the the premier people that understand this, but like you are the best buzzy artist
7: Thank that you. is out yes. there working today. Buzzy's designer said that I was good at drawing him, so I am. I live with that forever.
4: <laughs> and uh, I, I don't want you to go without promoting your Tea Public because you've recreated some terrific uh, merchandise from I Epcot's did, past. So
7: because there's. Like- there are like two Cranium Command shirts that ever existed. And I have redrawn both of them because, goodness gracious, and the Wonder sweater because, you know, yes. I'm not going to pay $500 for a sweatshirt. So, and I have a bunch of original designs on there. But yeah, and no,
4: although I'm not wearing it, wearing it uh, I have the uh, Figment Girl Watcher uh, shirt. It was a towel shirt. at one point. <laughs> uh, no, it was a shirt. Oh, was it a shirt? I thought it was a towel. No, that that's, that's the towel we're where figments Speaking in a, a bathing suit. Work well to be fair she made both girl watcher and boy watcher so i did
7: i did to be lgbt (laughs) friendly. but yeah if you want to look at a bunch of really nice drawings of old epcot characters where they look mysteriously hot for no reason you can follow my twitter
4: (laughs) all right (laughs) now you can wrap up todd
0: awesome well i appreciate both of you joining as everybody said here uh this has been great now how you did some Cranium Command uh, shirts. We just talked about Bunny's art. What how, What are you going to reach into the bag here? Is there anything else you've got left for uh, I've, i of some. You know what?
5: I guess I got to go. I looked back and I saw that we did that back in November of, yeah. of this year. So I think we need. And actually, I was going to do the sweatshirt and I'm so glad he did it because that means I don't have to because I'm sure that was a pain. I had to, to learn
7: Illustrator to do it. Yeah. She's
5: saving us time. Absolutely. And she did a fantastic job. So It's, I'm such,
7: like, a good, it's such a good design.
5: Yeah. And so it's like so different. It's
4: like so off-brand compared to the rest of the Wonders of Life stuff. Well, it's and you you know, you absolutely know that the impetus for the design was MetLife being like we want to be able to give stuff to our to our guests and to our uh executives and you know we want a sweatsuit that that with matching top and pants and i mean going, if you're going to hey, tell we'll people
5: to go work out you want to yeah. look as good as you can
7: they say you're like working out. wonders of life down the side of the leg it wasn't yeah. the 2000 so it doesn't say wonders of life across the butt but i think that would have been better
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is the wonder of life right here <laughs> How how about a uh, buzzy moving team shirt? You know, like uh, we oh, move <laughs> oh, <there you laughs> go. some hydraulic fluid dripping on the bottom. <laughs> that's
5: actually I'm a sad. really good idea.
2: Can handle with care.
0: <laughs> no, I'm right. hydro, just a hydraulic fluid like oil can or something. <laughs> and just you know.
4: a missing poster. I mean, a missing poster with buzzy. Like oh, that's been garden. done,
7: but like thirty thousand yeah. times
6: though. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Mister Dairy Goods with buzzy on it. <laughs> It's I've been just,
6: told that some of those buzzy missing fan art things have made it to the halls of WEI Florida and ended up being taken down because senior management was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah,
7: we've that been told by former you know, Imagineers that um, the other Imagineers really love our archive and that we care so much about <laughs> because Disney doesn't. That is that why we do it. was a high
6: honor hearing from like members of the Play Project teams. That really cool to know that our work is appreciated because my highest
7: honor oh sorry
6: continue from the very beginning of since i started this page it's we're going on six years now um i've just wanted to have a place where people can go so they don't have to do the exhaustive research that we do it's just like this is all here we did it nobody else has to i mean you can feel free to knock yourself out but you want to the take carpet the work looked out like?
7: of it <laughs> You want to see what the carpet looked like at Wonders? We got you. You want to see the bathroom fixtures? We got you. You want to read the training manual? We got you. My highest honor that I want to print out and get framed is when Dave Ensign said that he thinks what we are doing is the same as what he did for Horizons. That is like.
4: like it's 100% true. And mm-hmm. you guys recognize at a certain point that, you know, somebody has to take ownership of this particular pavilion.
7: No one else cares and, about uh, this. Mm-hmm. No,
4: that's not true. I mean, I think you found over time that people do. Oh, yeah. They just don't have the time or the, you know, inclination a lot of the times. And, but when it's all there in one place, uh, they know where to go to look for it. And,
7: I was interviewing, um, someone recently and they were uh, who worked on cranium command and he was like so do you have a real life and i was like yes i promise i do i just love this one thing if you have something that makes you happy you grab it and you bring every little bit of serotonin you possibly can out of it until it's shriveled up and dead that's what i do with wonders <laughs> of life
0: well it's like all the things that we do here at restore. yeah i mean it, you you do it and you put as much effort in as you
4: can on it and <laughs> hope that the product comes out good. it's always great well, to hear from people years after we've put something out that somebody finds something and says hey you know like we get a comment on something from 2014 yeah and then we're all talking like "What are they talking about and like oh that thing yeah that's i remember when we put that out there
7: even if i go a while without thinking about wonders like we'll have one thing and i'm like don't wake daddy like straight up i sit up and i'm here and i'm doing research <laughs> like i get one little bit of it and i'm like to be up forever researching this and a huge issue that we run into is we're like oh let me contact this person and they're dead because, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many because it was
4: you know over 30 years ago so yep that happens
0: oh once again thank you very much for joining us uh gentlemen we'll be going back next month to something else i don't think we've determined our, our...
4: next month is jerry reese that's right jerry, <laughs> so that's talked jerry to reese talking to us, us for two blacks. hours about
0: cranium command so. if, if people are not tired of wonders of life
7: <laughs> i like so. to think that we have helped a little bit making people care about it <laughs> even if it's just sure. a little bit
0: absolutely absolutely well, thanks to all of our listeners, uh, Bonnie and uh, uh, DFG. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, as always, if you uh, find these things interesting, give us a shout out. And uh, yeah, I'm out of, out of, you know you turn, well, uh, into a, you you turn to a pumpkin Amazon after midnight now.
4: well it is after midnight i'm tired yeah, yeah after midnight iTunes like, he's like the us. buzzy animatronic after they yeah, close their eyes <laughs> fluid. Yeah, one
7: eye is like one nah. eye's drooping yep
0: <laughs> so if you can get if you can give us a shout out in itunes or your favorite podcasting app uh please do as always we thank you for all your thing everything you send us and jt where can they find us write to us fill up that mailbag uh,
2: podcast at retrowdw.com That's right. Send it all I, in, and maybe you're, if your letter can be on. I
4: expect a mailbag full of yes. sent to the principal's office stories next month. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. if we don't get that, uh, one of the things that we are missing, because uh, Bunny and I have talked about it ad nausea, is a good picture of the uh, pure and simple menu.
7: Yes. Uh, oh my it's, God, it's that pure and simple menu. Nothing but like
4: blurry... Like background photos, we need a good picture of the early years when it was a fully functioning food service venue in chili. there, and had chili, that all that all that stuff Keith Keogh worked on and talked to us about. Oh yeah, uh, for that pavilion, uh, you know the wonder waffle and all those things that that came with a fruit compote in the beginning instead of syrup. By the end, they had just given it up and just gave you syrup with it, and it was a regular waffle. But
7: if you or someone you know went into the wonders of life pavilion <laughs>
4: and you want film, to hear about yeah it. <laughs> and use the film camera to take a photograph of a menu uh no board, if you did anything i want snow. to hear yeah. about it yes well that too that's right. that's right so
0: all right well thanks for listening we'll be back next month uh with uh, jerry reese talking a little bit about cranium command and we'll be researching more so thank you very much to all of our listeners and with that brian take us out
4: Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History, and on the web at LBVHistory.org for all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise. Visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts Todd McCartney on Twitter at WDWMs, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen. JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities.